finally spring. Oh, I love spring storms. Wait, what's that? Spencer Events and Dead Sled Brand present Halfway to Halloween. This family-friendly event features over 130 vendors, food trucks, a hearse show, an inflatable haunted maze, a mobile selfie museum, an escape room, and a murder mystery game. Halfway to Halloween descends upon the Washtenaw Farm Council grounds at 5055 Ann Arbor Saline Road in Ann Arbor, Michigan, Saturday, May 6th from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. For more info, search up Spencer Events on Facebook. I like it spooky. Hey, everybody, welcome to the I Like It Spooky Horror Podcast. I'm Chuck Norris. Hi, ya! Fuck sakes, what is going on? <laughs> <laughs> you're chuck norris if i ordered a chuck norris action figure off wish yeah, maybe yeah. <laughs> i would the high ya was like what in the world? does he go high ya i don't fucking know maybe he don't tunes <laughs> like hong kong fooey take two drink drinking from your eye look up I'm going to leave that in there, but we'll do take two. Hey, everybody. Welcome to I Like a Spooky Horror Podcast. I'm Brian. I'm Jason. I'm Clint. And, um, you know, besides all the weird nonsense we just heard, convention season is here. You know, because they say keep your friends close and your competition closer, we will soon be joined by fellow vendor Josh Perlmutter of Bootleg as Fuck Toys. But first, let's get to the news. And just remember, kids, there's no you and fuck. All right. Failed to. <laughs> oh, I like that. Oh, that, that. The kids and the fuck, you know, I'm like, he's creepy, but no, just kidding. <laughs> oh, Creep Show has been announced that it's uh, coming out in 4K. I'm excited for this. I love Creep Show. It's available from Shout Factory, Scream Factory. They have some different packages for, and you know, us being collectors kind of got me thinking about which one I want to order here. So they have just the base 4K set. They also have um, some collector's editions. Um, one of them comes with an exclusive slip cover. Which I tried to, I sent this to Brian and I'm like, hey, you want to save on some shipping and, you know, jump in and get this? And he wasn't super interested. I thought the exclusive slipcover would sell him, but no, no. He has to stick to his vinegar syndrome and arrow slipcovers. Scream Factory just doesn't do it for him. It was Creep Show 3 that I didn't even know fucking existed. And then people are like, that was so awful, that movie. I was like, oh, no wonder. They, they know they can't sell a lot of them, so they made that many. It's still available, too. I almost I almost bought it, but I, I haven't yet because I know everybody says it sucks, 
but I haven't seen it. And I tried to watch it. And I found like on YouTube, you could watch like a little clip here and a little clip there. And they were all unviewable almost. So I'm like, I want to see this movie to see what everybody's talking about. So I, I might pick it up. I mean, it's limited to 1500 for the Creep Show 3 Blu-ray only. But yeah, they got a nice little package out. It's kind of weird that they put Creep Show 1 coming out on 4K and then Creep Show 3, but no 2 yet. So I'm sure I'm sure that's going to be coming though sooner than later that we'll get a Creep Show 2. On the Creep Show, they have a, you know, a collector's edition has exclusive another exclusive poster, 24 by 36 poster and 18 by 24 cover poster an exclusive slip cover and a prism sticker which for only it's only like nine bucks more for all that extra stuff from the base version that you would get then it kind of gets pricey though they have a, a collector's edition that's 99 dollars, which you get everything i just named and then they add on a pen set but it's like 55 dollars more just for this pen set i know people are crazy about their pens and i know that they're limited but that seems like quite a jump. There's only 750 of them. So I guess, you know, kind of reaching out to those people. Wasn't there something with uh, some collector cards too that were mixed in with that? Or am I wrong? That's in the next one up. <laughs> so then there's another one that has all of the above mentioned and some lobby cards, some collector's cards. But that jumps up another $40. So, I mean, you're kind of, no, nah, I'm not interested. The lobby card set, they are cool looking, but, and there's limited to 500 of those, but for almost a hundred dollars more just for the lobby cards and the collector pin set than you would get from just the $45 version. It's kind of a turnoff for me, but I know, I know it's probably going to sell like crazy. We had talked in the last episode when we uh, covered Psycho Gorman about, I, I said that I, I feel like we're in the golden age as far as um, collectibles, specifically horror collectibles. But I tell you what, it's almost anymore like if if anybody ever does go to like sell their collection, like I'm going to have this limited stuff and you're going to have limited stuff that I don't have. So instead of selling anything, it's well, but I just give you my limited stuff for your limited stuff, you know? And, and then I can't imagine the resale value on top of all that stuff. Maybe it is. Creep Show, I know, has a huge following. George Romero stuff, Stephen King. So maybe it will. I, we don't always look for the resale value and things, but I mean, you kind of have to sometimes because you don't want to buy something now that will actually be half off, you know, in the future. Well, that and it's actually, I've said it before, but it's one of the few tools I utilize where I justify to myself the money that I'm spending for things that I don't need, but I really want um, is I go, okay, if shit hits the fan, and I need to unload. I can sell this for X amount. I don't plan on it. I'm not a scalper. I'm not a flipper, but I, I keep that in mind. So you're talking about, wait, hold on. You're talking about Creepshow 3. Fun fact. I don't know if you guys knew this. Tales from the Dark Side, the movie, was actually originally slated to be Creepshow 3. Oh, was it really? Yeah. And there was something about licensing rights or who owned the rights to this or that or whatever. So it just became Tales from the Dark Side, the movie. But that was kind of cool. I'm kind of glad it did, though, because now we kind of get I know it's still like an anthology horror series, just something more to talk about than just all the Creepshow family. So anyway, that Creepshow 4K comes out June 27th. Grab it if you want it. I'm going to see what I spend, you know, at the future cons, and I'm sure it'll still be for sale because I don't want the super limited things. I'm sure I'll, I'm going to end up grabbing some of those. So coming in the future on why am I so poor? We'll talk about it again. What you guys got? So just in time for May. Our friends at Bloody Disgusting and Paul Lay. So 10 action slasher movies you maybe haven't seen. 
So the first movie, Silent Rage. I think I've seen that one. Sounds dumb. 10 to Midnight. The Zero Boys, which I own from Arrow Video, but I haven't even opened. Hero and the Terror. Sounds familiar. Blood Moon. Banshee. Slice, which I've heard of. Tower Block. Cold Hell. And Black Sight, which is from 2022, which is interesting. I mean, usually these lists have mostly older stuff on it. But yeah, there's a couple of the movies from the 2000s. And I am I mean, I'm interested. What's better than horror and action and car chases and gunfights and karate kicks to the head? Action slashers. Action slashers. Ooh, I don't think I've ever heard that before. I like that. Action slashers. Usually when I see these lists, I'm like, I've seen a lot of those. But on this, I think I've seen one of them. And I don't even know if I've heard of a lot of the other ones. So It's kind of like the opposite of the original Halloween where there's no action, just slashing. Like mm-hmm. where nothing happens. Yeah, and it's actually good. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's all I got. I found that Clint sent that article, and I was like, I have to talk about this. Like, these sound like movies that are right in my wheelhouse. Well, and they encompass things that aren't mentioned. Like, the the way you just described it as you were wrapping it up, it reminded me I watched Death Wish Part 3 the other night. Death Wish 3 is not a horror movie. It's not a slasher movie, but it's got that that little element in there that almost feels like it was, <clears throat> you could watch it as a double feature with silent rage or hero in the terror, any of those movies that you just listed. Good stuff. What do you got for news, Clint news? So I'm going to cover a couple things because this is just kind of a, I don't have much of a story to go with this. We've talked before about the Texas chainsaw massacre game coming out. And I came across um, from bloody disgusting.com. A release date is August 18th. And again, that's going to be on, you know, all available gaming platforms, including PC, I believe. So that's kind of cool to get a release date on that if you hadn't heard of one yet. So since that's kind of short, going along with video games, I'm going to see how long I can pad this as I scroll. Okay, Brian actually sent this over and uh, it's video game related and it is Paramount's Horror Western or... (laughs) Oregon, not Oregon Trail, but Oregon Trail, rated R for strong violence. This has announced last year the cleverly titled Western Oregon Trail is on the way from director Michael Pack, Patrick Jan, who did Drop Dead Gorgeous, Reno 911, and Daybreak, and uh, Bloody Disgusting. Learned this morning that the film from Paramount has been rated R for strong violence, language, and some sexual references. So it's obviously based on the Oregon Trail, the old Commodore 64 game from when we were kids. I wonder if it's going to be like uh, uh, Ravenous. You guys ever seen the movie Ravenous? I've heard of it. Yeah, I haven't watched it, though. It's got some names. Um, I mean, some people who've been involved with uh, True Blood and BD Southbound, Love and Death, Riverdale, Ozark. So there's some actors attached to it. Sounds like an all-you-can-eat cannibal buffet or something like that. So is the the Oregon Trail game, is it kind of like it was on the old PC or is it more? Well, no, no, no. So this isn't a game. It's going to be a movie based off, I don't know, based on, not necessarily based on the game, but, you know, instead of Oregon Trail, it's Oregon Trail. So it's kind of tongue in cheek stuff. It says here, the film finds a young Abigail Archer friendless and alone in a brutal Montana winter during the 1870s fighting for survival and to retrieve her one earthly possession, her family's horse from a gang of bloodthirsty bandits. So it kind of goes along with what we were just talking about is it's, it's horror, but not horror. 
and based on a video game, sort of. They're running out of ideas, so they're, they're just they're just mashing everything together. They're like, we want to make some money, so we're just going to toss everything together and throw it at the wall and see if people pay us for it. They're like, we know that one guy, Brian, from that podcast will watch it, so let's put it out. <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll I'll pay to see it. And with everything else that I you know spend money on, I might as well spend money on that. Of course, since I spend money on everything like that, I don't have any money and I'm kind of, kind of fucking poor. Sell it, Clint. Sell it. <laughs> that was my Oscar-worthy moment right there. You know? That was good acting. May I have the envelope, please? And the Oscar goes to... It's because I'm not acting. <laughs> well, speaking of, I smelled the Segway. Let's get into it. What does it smell like? Did it smell? Is it smelled? <laughs> like I smelled this. I smelt. Is it smelled or smelt? Like, whatever. Who cares? I don't know. It smells to me like an empty wallet. That's what it smells like. So I got some pretty cool pickups I want to talk about. I'm excited for a couple of them. I got a couple of them in the mail right as we were recording last week. So I can officially talk about them here. I was on Facebook, market, not even Facebook Marketplace, just Facebook one morning before I go to work. I get up early some days and I kind of just sit there, watch the news. And I was scrolling through Facebook and some guy popped up on one of our horror autograph groups and was selling some autographs. And I was scrolling through the list and they had a meatloaf autograph from Rocky Horror Picture Show. Him as Eddie holding the saxophone right after he broke out of the freezer. He had a hell of a price on it. Beckett certified. It was it was a great deal, I thought. So I jumped on that, sent him a message right away, told him I'll take that one. He also had a uh, Brooke Smith from Silence of the Lambs. Uh, she was the girl that was in the well. Put the lotion on the skin. I thought that was cool. We love Rocky Horror Picture. Er, I'm sorry, Silence of the Lambs. I love Rocky Horror Picture Show, but we love Silence of the Lambs here in this house. So I thought my wife would get a kick out of that one. So I picked up a autograph of her also. So a couple cool new autographs to find place down here to hang up another really cool pickup i had i just got it in the mail the other day i already opened it up sorry clint but the hell is wrong with you it's uh the bride of chucky soundtrack from enjoy the ride records and it is beautiful i've already taken pictures of it i can't wait to share it for with you guys it comes it's a dual lp just three sides though it's kind of cool so the chucky record is orange blue and red and uh the tiffany record is black and white like a splatter type thing like a tie-dye looking and on the back of the tiffany record there's an, a print on it that it's a heart with her and chucky in it super cool looking it's it's beautiful i already listened to it unfortunately like the first like 20 second 20 to 30 seconds there is like a notable like pop every time it gets to one certain area kind of drives me crazy but then it cleans up and it, and it sounds amazing after that. I already gave it a listen, but I love Enjoy the Ride Records. Brian introduced them to me a couple months ago. I'd never heard of them, and now I've bought, I think, a handful of records from them. And I have another one coming for a future episode that I'll talk to you guys about. But those well, are my so pickups. Bride of, Chuck, Bride of Chucky came out in 1998, so it's got to have some decent songs on there right up our alley. 
it, it's it's not it's it's not the it's not the score. Oh, it's or, the score. It's it's not it's, the soundtrack. It's the score. It's not exactly. Yep, yep. They're just the music from the movie, not the actual songs. I know. I was actually trying to find it on Discogs, and I was finding all the soundtracks, like with all the music on it. And I'm like, oh man, I would kind of like to have this too. So maybe I'll look for that and pick that up as well. But nope, it's just the music from the movie. Back to your uh, your meatloaf autograph still. How much did you pay for that? I don't want to say because I feel like it was pretty. It was pretty low. Oh, never mind. No, I didn't mean to put you in this spot. I remember us talking about it. So let's just say this: we talked about it before, and Jason got a really good deal on it. And I remember going, "Really? That's all you paid for that? Because it's got to be worth at least this amount." I was super happy to pick it up, and that's why I actually bought more from him because I'm like, "Oh, okay." I I feel like the other one I kind of overpaid for but I felt like it worked out in the long run because the other picture I bought, I totally could have got it on eBay for less somewhere else. But I was like, okay, you know, I'm, and I'm going to like, you know, help this guy out by that's how I justify it by buying more. So he doesn't, cause shipping was included in the price. So I'm like, Hey, I'll buy more just to make it a bigger deal for you. And I, I was super happy to pick it up. I met meatloaf uh, before a few months before he died. He was in Chicago at flashback weekend and I got him to sign my Rocky Horror Picture Show poster that's already signed by Tim Curry. And I, I was kind of crushed that I didn't take any, I didn't get any pictures. I didn't take my soundtrack, my Rocky Horror Picture Show soundtrack record. Kind of kicking myself. I'll never be able to get that signed now. But to pick up this picture is kind of cool. I have a little, a nice little wall section for Rocky Horror Picture Show that I need to move some stuff around. And then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share that because some pretty cool autographs up there. How about you, Brian? Who did you rip off this week? Nobody. <laughs> you got to keep that on there. Definitely. Well, I didn't rip anybody off, but I did pick up a Godzilla toy at Target. I didn't have this one. And I told Finley, if we go to Target again and find it on clearance, I'll let her open one and keep this one sealed. It's Jet Jaguar. 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 It was $3.89 on clearance from like 14 bucks. It's like a guy? Yeah, he's a robot. He's a large robot. I, he might even be like a guy in a suit, but he grows like really big. So he's from the Godzilla universe. And it was like under $4. So I was like, I got to buy it. And like I told her, we'll go to Target and we're going to go to Peoria in the next couple of weeks and we'll look and see if they have some more figures on sale. I'll let her open one because the Godzilla figures are all in her room now. Like she's got four or five Godzilla figures on her desk. Jason's still laughing about my ripoff gun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. That already showed up. Well, here's the thing. So our buddy Tad from uh, Attack of the Killer podcast and first time podcast posted this in a group. Hammer Films. 20 film set, the ultimate collection. It's 10 discs, 20 films, a lot of black and white, a lot of their older stuff. I mean, The Revenge of Frankenstein, The Curse of the Mummy's Tomb, Creatures the World Forgot. It's, you know, a lot of their movies and Hammers. I enjoy Hammer. I think their stuff looks amazing. Their films look great. They're well acted. They usually have a decent story. It showed up the other day. And I'm like, okay, it came like this real flimsy package. So I open it. The box isn't sealed. The movies are loose inside. The case is all shattered. I'm like, what the hell? This is supposed to be new. Yeah, but you got ripped off. 
yeah, I go on Amazon and I'm like, I want to return this. It's broken. So they're like, okay, we'll replace it with a new one. So the new one showed up today and I have to return the other one to Kohl's. But I was like, yeah, this one's actually sealed. And the, the other box is all beat up like it had been in somebody's collection or like in a box somewhere. Like, you know, the corners were like showing white and stuff. So, yeah, I got the new one today in the mail. And it's still sealed. You answered my question. I was going to say that was just seemed like it was yesterday or the day before where you shared that in our chat amongst each other. So I was surprised the seat was already there, but you said it was from Amazon. So, yeah, I got one. It was broke. I put in a return request and I got another one still. Yeah, but from Amazon. That's all I bought. Oh, a poster. I got a new uh, trick or treat poster that for Finley that I'm going to put up in her room. It'll be autographed. What about you, Clint? What did you buy? Anything? This is kind of weird because since we recorded this in such proximity, close proximity to the last episode, Psycho Gorman, I haven't had an opportunity to spend any money. But we're going to go ahead and pretend, and this movie comes out after we're going to be at Motor City Legacy. I don't know what exactly I'm going to be buying there, but I do know a thousand percent that I will be getting Jill Whitlow's signature on my Night of the Creeps Mike Mash, Curious Good 666 Shadow Box. I got Ivan E. Roth's autograph on there. And then I want to get Jill's and I want to get Tom Atkins. So yeah, that money, it's spent already. And that's about it. Tomorrow, so this comes out, this episode comes out April 30th. So tomorrow, my oldest turned 16. So that's where most of my money, all of my money, money I don't even have, money that I need to beg, borrow, steal. If you want to donate some money so that money can go out to that, is where my money's going. Um, I'm actually looking forward to that being over with because then I can focus back on personal finance goals and collectible stuff. That's about it for me, short and sweet. Oh, so you didn't see the Facebook post that Jill Whitlow had to cancel this week. Bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) I'm on social media more than you. When you said that, the first thing that popped in my mind was like the, the spirit Halloween meme where the employee goes to the guy like, can I help you? And he's like, I know more than you. <laughs> yeah. Like, I know you're full of shit. You probably would have got a text straight from the guys on that one. <laughs> I do plan, again, this is really weird how we're doing this because um, we haven't been to Legacy yet, but this episode comes out after Legacy. But I do plan on spending some other money there. Our friend Brian Hoover is going to be there. First time um, convention appearance for him. And he does traditional paintings and artwork. And he's got a children shouldn't play with dead things painting that I know I'm going to buy. Bootleg as fuck toys is going to be there. I know I'm going to buy some stuff from them. Um, <clears throat> a lot of great, amazing artists are going to be there that I'm probably going to spend some money on. So you'll get to share what's in this package. I got you a gift, but it's a secret. It's a secret. It's the My Bloody Valentine cassette. No, those are right here. Oh, did I get a secret? No. <laughs> He's just like, no. Hold on. So it's a cassette because it's a cassette size box. It's what? What was the? What was the other tape that Terravision just came out with? Oh, I know what it man. is. Well, they came out with Graveyard Shift. Maybe that's what I was thinking of. Or something you just mentioned. Graveyard Shift? It's a surprise, Clint. All I know is, is we just rattled off a bunch of examples from Terravision to Bootleg as Fuck Toys and everybody else in between that we could have as potential sponsors for this episode. Let's go, let's go to a sponsor and see which one was chosen. Spin the wheel, Brian. <laughs> this week it's gonna be I want one. Oh, I want one of those. Who <laughs> legas fuck toys?
Yes. You and Fuck sold separately. You can collect all of your favorite horror, sci-fi, and pop culture parody figure collectibles from Bootleg as Fuck Toys at various horror and pop culture conventions around the country. Keep up with Bootleg as Fuck Toys on Facebook and Instagram. Bootleg as Fuck Toys. Taking the you out of fuck and throwing it right into fun. From all right, so now that we've heard from this episode's sponsor, we want to welcome our special guest, this episode's sponsor. Josh Perlmutter, I hope I'm uh, pronouncing your last name right, from Bootleg as Fuck Toys. Welcome to the Spooky Studio. Thank you. Thank you. You got it right. I butcher your last name, so I was hoping it was as simple as it looked, but. No, it is. I get, I get like Perlmutter a lot, or Pearl. Yeah, Perlmutter is the sentence, the big one. My last name is four letters T A C Y. Dude, I get Tracy, Lacey, Casey, Pacey, Smacy. I get all kinds of shit. Tacky. I'm like, well, I'm kind of tacky, but you know, hey. We wanted to have you on the show because, you know, I wanted to introduce my audience to uh, my opponent here in the horror convention equivalent of the pro wrestling Monday Night Wars. <laughs> nah, I like more of a more collab. You know, we're not working against each other, we're with, with each other. No, absolutely. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just busting balls. Whether it's yours or mine, I don't really know, but I'm just busting balls. No, you, you've you been great. Like I say, um, you actually started doing the bootleg toys long before I started dabbling in, into it. In fact, you might have even like subconsciously inspired me because I had seen your work before I realized it was yours. Like your Miss Toy is one of my favorites. I'm like, oh, that's fucking cool. Thank you. One day I'm doing uh, the, the t-shirts and stuff and I'm like, oh, you know what? I'm going to do the stooge tongue. And I'm gonna, and next thing I know, I've it's a drug. You know that. You just kind of keep going. Yeah, it really is. So speaking of horror conventions, Josh, we met a couple of years ago at the same event that I met my co-host here uh, when we were at Midwest Monster Fest in the Quad Cities. And you and I traded, or I think it was your wife and I traded like a t-shirt for some koozies or something, you know, traded some merch for merch. But now you weren't vending bootleg toys yet then, right? No, I was selling bombs. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so like when I originally got started with all this, I, I, I my background's like hospitality. I was in hotels for 15 years. I got I got burnt out on that like really bad, so I got out of that and I started doing like I've always been kind of crafty, so I started doing like laser engraving, just kind of like on the spur of things. I saw a laser engraver on I think it was Facebook for like thirty bucks, and I bought it, and it was big enough to do like spoons. So I started doing hitter boxes and then like Zippos, and that progressed into I don't know if you can see it behind me, but like right here, this blue box is a thirty watt CO two laser, so that progressed into this monster right here, and that thing will do ceramic ink on the metal. So that progressed into like flasks and like bottle openers, which is probably what you saw. And then I kind of moved past the laser stuff and started doing 3D stuff, started doing cups, like epoxy. And that all kind of came together to help me do bootlegs, essentially, because I use a little bit of everything when I do the bootlegs. I'll laser cut stuff, I'll 3D print stuff, I'll uh, do a lot of resin epoxy art, casting, stuff like that. So were you set up right across from Clint at uh, Midwest Monster Fest? Oh, yeah, I got a, there, you probably can't see it, but I got a little hitter box. That was me. Like a, li a little Halloween ghost Michael hitter box. Still got a bunch of those left. We bought, we bought some other stuff too, but, oh, that's funny. I didn't even know that was you, but yeah, perfect. So I, I, I've supported already. 
Thank you. Appreciate that. Um, so we, we did a show. Uh, I did a comic show like St. Louis last year and we didn't make any money. And it's to the point where I think the paraphernalia was kind of scaring some of the straight people away. Like they were getting like, oh, you know, like evil bongs kind of thing. So <laughs> that was pretty much when I switched over to doing the toys. I've got a couple like uh, dead end collectibles, some, some of my own personal stuff. I've always kind of liked bootleg stuff. So I was like, yeah, I could do this. Now, did you uh, did you put out an evil bong bong? I did not. You know, the movie Evil Bong. Oh, oh man, I, did awesome. I, did, I didn't get to Evil Bong. <laughs> hey, and not that that hitter box isn't cool, but just uh, an FYI spoiler for our audience: you could put a picture of Michael Myers in a roll of toilet paper, and Jason's going to buy it. So bring two. <laughs> <laughs> so, Josh, how long have you been vending for? Um, I started vending like my first horror convention was 2014. But I've been going to like Comic Con since I was a kid, um, and then after walking around, like I think it was Flashback 2014. Just after walking around the show, I was like, I could do this. It's like I think by 2016, I was vending. So and I've been vending. I'm oh, sorry, since then. I wonder if you're like me, kind of like I just kind of stumbled into it. Same thing. I was like one day, I'm like same thing. I was like, oh fuck it, I'm just gonna start doing this, and now it's kind of become like a lifestyle. Like I don't ever see myself stopping. It just affords so many opportunities above and beyond being just a fan going to the conventions. That's pretty much what happened. Uh, like so, in 2014, I used to so I worked in hospitality, and then I I did like airsoft on the side, which is like paintball. And in 2014, I dissolved my airsoft company. My buddy, my business partner, had a kid. Our business office turned into his daughter's room. So, and I actually had moved to Wisconsin. So I was very far from the fields. And I was kind of like, I was in a rut. I didn't really, wasn't really doing anything. I think at the time I was doing like survival equipment. I was making like paracord bracelets and like fishing equipment, uh, survival fishing kits, like pocket sized fishing kits. Um, and yeah, I went to, it was flashback. I still remember the vendor I went to. He's like, I know you know who he is. He's the guy that has that three wall toy saw. He's, he's huge. You know, he takes up two booths. He's got his kid with him all the time. If you've been to any show in Chicago, you've seen them. So I bought a Funko Mystery Mini off of one of the horror ones. And I opened that thing up. And I didn't know what a Mystery Mini was. And I'm like, oh, it's like, yeah, what was this one? So before that day was out, I ended up buying like half a case off that dude. And just sitting around the hotel room being like, yeah, we could we could definitely do something like this. And then the next year, or two years later, we were pending flashback. A lot of fun. The, the, the conventions are great for connecting with people, too. Like I say, we met at uh, Midwest Monster Fest there. And then I had actually, again, seen your, your bootleg toys online, not knowing you had transitioned away, you know, or transitioned into that stuff. And I'd seen your stuff and I'd actually, we'd been vending uh, some of the similar shows. I remember we were both at Days of the Dead in Indy a couple of Junes ago or something. You were in the other room. I was kind of in the side room. Not Indy. I've never actually been to Days of the Dead Indy yet. Really? Well, someone had your Miss Toy there for sale. They were reselling it because I saw it there. I walked by and really? I was seeing it. Yeah. With days mainly, maybe it was Chicago. It's Chicago, maybe because I do all the days in Chicago. It's like Johnny Cash. I've been everywhere, man. It all kind of blurs after a while, you know. <laughs> I get that. But we kind of reconnected uh, last October uh, in Scarefest in Kentucky. Uh, myself, and my, my ex-girlfriend, we walked by your booth. We saw your toys. Uh, she bought Brian the uh, the greasy strangler toy. She bought herself a Lost Boys toy. And that's when your wife, that's when it clicked. That's when she's like, hey, you know, we met and we traded. And I was like, oh, okay. All right. And then you wandered over and uh, started talking to me and we were checking out each other's toys. It was really cool. And that's when I made the joke about, oh, great, there's competition in town. He said, oh, no, 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 we're collaborating. But I mean, you, so your custom collectibles, they're freaking amazing. Um, talked about it a little bit already, but what got you into producing those as opposed to the other stuff? And because now you're pretty much just bootleg toys, right? Just bootleg toys. 
Um, it was actually, I can, I can narrow it down to one instance. It was my buddy, Eric. Hi, Eric. Uh, my buddy, Eric, wanted me to print him a gummy Venus to Milo in Simpsons. You know what that is? Simpsons episode with the gummy Venus. So I printed him that. I did it out of resin. Looked just like the real one. And I'm like, you know what? I could probably put together some packaging for you, too. And just kind of was dicking around in Corral and made a card back. And I was like, wow, this, this is actually a lot of fun. And I started going through, I think it was the guest list for Crypticon September last year. The first person that popped up was Ronan Wells. So I started making Bennett Commando cards. Um, and then it just kind of literally snowballed into there. Um, so from like, I think it was July 2nd last year to right now, I got like 100 and 195 cards. I saw your post when you got to like 72 or something like that. You're like, oh, I never thought I'd get this far in a year or something like that. Yeah, but that was right at 100. That was, that was like last December. I hit 100. And then from December until now is basically another 100. So it's 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 a dangerous addiction. I have <laughs> like there, there's crap all over in my office. If you can see, like I'm getting ready for Legacy next week. There's shit right here. Like if I pan the camera just this way, it's just all bootleg going this way in different stages of assembly. I started with mine because I got all my collectibles, you know, displayed on the wall in my in another room there. And I started when I make one, I make one for myself, and I put it up and I fit it in with movie themed with other collectibles that I have. But then I, I quit doing it because I keep taking them down because I'm like, oh, someone bought that one. So now I got to, instead of making another one, I'll just use this one that's already on the wall, you know? Yeah. You know, so I, I get one signed and then I can't do that because now it's signed. So it's just in a box. And then I, I used to do the same thing. I've got some, some tags here, some name tags. I used to do a lot of name tags. I did like uh, Shaun of the Dead, Ash, Smart, real popular. And I would always take this one down, this Ash one. Whenever I would sell one on eBay, I would take this one down and mail it to someone. Because I wouldn't want to make another one. So I started getting all the bootlegs signed. And I leased it in a long box. And I can't sell those to people because they're autographed. So eBay, because we were curious. Jason was just asking me if you are just strictly conventions or if you have like a, a Etsy store or eBay. I saw you had an Etsy store for the stuff you did before that. I think you closed down. Uh, but now, so do you offer bootlegs anywhere else? I did. I closed my Etsy store just because with with the bootlegs now, I'm open to like independent orders. So I'm doing a lot of like indie artists and stuff. But I really don't have the time to sit. And I did a lot of keychains. And again, like the name tags and all that stuff's hand painted. And I just don't have the time anymore to sit down and like do that during the day. It's pretty much right now. It's all bootlegs 24, 24 seven. Like my buddy, uh, my buddy Aaron who runs Swedish made toys. I just ran 75 cards for him. Got. I can't remember his name. Independent artists out of Detroit. I've got 35 cards going to him uh, at Legacy. So I'm right in the middle of his order as well. Um, so I don't really have time to do. I used to do a lot of, like Overlook keychains, a lot of like uh, like a lot of Killdozer stuff, a lot of Strickland, like King of the Hill stuff. Um, I just don't have time for it anymore. Um, I do still have the Etsy. It's down. Um, Etsy's going to go back up pretty soon. Um, I've been talking to the people over at Kenny versus Penny. I don't know if any of you guys know what Kenny versus Penny is. Not a, no, not by the name. Do you guys do you like watching goofy cartoons or not goofy cartoons, goofy shows? You ever watch Trailer Park Boys? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Trailer Park Boys is put on by a show, a company called Showcase out of uh, Canada. It's like their broadcasting company. So the same channel does Kenny versus Penny. And it's essentially two people. These two guys have known each other their whole life, like to the point where their dads were best friends growing up. And they put themselves into mini competitions every week. And it's kind of like uh, who can stay handcuffed the longest uh, to each other. Or like who could smoke more weed or uh, who can stay up the longest. And then it's it's two best friends bickering and fighting. And then they kind of do a mini competition or they do a humiliation at the end of the show. Uh, just whoever loses, whoever wins. So it's, it's fun, actually. <laughs> is, it, is it animated or is it live action? Or? It's live action. It's two, it's two grown men making complete assholes out of themselves. <laughs> oh. <laughs> hey, they're doing something right. There's six seasons. 
Yeah, no, it's 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 a great show. There's a there's a cult following for it. Um, I'm on I'm on one of their main fan groups. I made a couple cards for them. The admin, who's friends with these two guys, reached out to me, and they were both like, "Yeah, we love this stuff. Uh, if you want to put them on Etsy? Go ahead." Uh, my main concern with Etsy is my stuff kind of rides that fine line of we're going to see your ass off. So these, so I can't really put them up publicly for sale per se. Um, I consider it parody art. I consider my company name a, a disclaimer. If you think it's in a, a legit item, then you know, we should have a conversation. Maybe redefine the word "fuck" for you. <laughs> I do do orders. Um, if you follow me on Instagram, um, if you contact me, uh, I do handle requests via private message. And we can talk. So that is that is a little possibility. But uh, as for like a store, I don't have one. not yet. And you're on Facebook though too, right? I am. Yeah, uh, my Facebook and my Instagram are bootleg as fuck. Just drop the U and fuck because Instagram and Facebook all like that. As you're talking here, I'm on I'm on your site here doing a screenshot or you know a shopping list for this next weekend. Thank so, you. <laughs> I'm getting prepared here, so. And, um, and you know what? Because uh, I don't bring, I only generally bring like forty or fifty pieces. If, you know, if you guys, if you guys do look and you want some stuff, like I know I, I packed the Valentine's Day for Clint because I know Clint bleeds my bloody Valentine's Day. Um, if there's anything that you guys want, um, let me know ahead of time and I'll make sure that I stash a couple in boxes because right now the stuff that's going is, if you look at the very top of my Instagram, that's pretty much the stuff that'll go out to the, the show this week, all the stuff labeled for the for the celebrities and stuff. Well, I was lucky enough to get the one I wanted <laughs> and it's extra greasy. <laughs> well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a few seconds here and put my order in. The Dr. Loomis, I shot him six times. I have some of the, I have like six of those. That's already packed. All right, perfect. <laughs> there, I have some more on my list, but I'll, I'll take my chances when I get there. And <laughs> what? Are, what the hell are we doing? The last episode, I'm wrestling with wrestling buddies, and Jason's shopping this episode. <laughs> <laughs> we are speaking of so because this episode, you guys picked a movie. I did do. Ooh, nice. The because of the glare, I can't see what the toy is though. All right, how about that? It's the uh, it's the Mitogen Thirty Five. It's the serum oh, that's injected into them. <laughs> that's awesome. awesome. So I want each. I want. I want each of these for you guys. No, oh, hell that's yeah! Awesome. Thank oh, you. Not for you, Jason. You didn't like the movie. <laughs> we haven't talked about that yet. <laughs> well, so, since we're shopping here, and it kind of segues into something I've been, I was going to talk to you about on the side anyway, there, Josh. But uh, I need you to bring uh, a mist for me if you have one because I love that. And I don't have it. There's eight of those back. Those are pretty popular. I bring those to pretty much everything. I've got an idea that um, completely, totally inspired by your mist and your Dr. Loomis that uh, I'm just going to surprise. It won't be ready by Legacy because I just haven't had time, but I'm going to make sure to put inspired by bootleg as fuck toys on the card because it was I was like, wait, he did this and this. And I was like, well, this would be kind of cool. All right, we're going to we're going to do that, you know, but I had, I had to pay a homage <laughs> to where the idea came from. Um, so, uh, yeah, your inventory is huge because, again, you don't just do horror stuff like you were just talking about. I mean, you kind of get more into pop culture world and um, more comedy show stuff. And because of that, you reach a really diverse audience, which is amazing. You kind of have to. I do, like, even at the horror shows, I'll get, like, um, I always have, like, office stuff with me. A real big one is the uh, the prison mic kit where it's this purple bandana. I sell those every show. I'll sell those at, like, Crypticon. I'll sell those at Days of the Dead. So you always... I always kind of like to have that extra little bit of inventory with me just because people, you know, that sometimes they don't, they don't always want the horror stuff or maybe like the girlfriend who the boyfriend dragged with, you know, he, she doesn't like horror, but she loves fucking Michael Scott. And then I don't know, have you, have you guys seen, I think you should leave yet. No, Jason's busy watching Halloween and I'm busy trying to figure out how to sleep. And Brian's playing with his wrestling buddy dolls all the time. So I think you should leave on Netflix. Just give it one episode. 
definitely worth it. And then the coffin flop and the I won't skip lunch will make more sense. <laughs> so you were talking to me a little while ago about kind of doing some t-shirt stuff. Did you, uh, you made a stamp. Did you, have you moved forward with that or is that on the back burner? I have ADHD pretty bad. And like I give things like three or four days and if they don't work out for three or after three or four days, they kind of like go into a pile of crap. So right now the, sh- the t-shirt stamps are in the pile of crap. Uh, <laughs> it worked, <laughs> it worked, but it didn't work. Like I need to order better ink. Uh, the ink that I was using was very light, but the like the concept behind the stamp and the ink worked. It just didn't work well. Yeah, I've never messed with the stamping before. And I know we were talking about it. I was like, oh, man, the initial cost up front for a setup can be hard to recoup unless you're really moving inventory as far as shirts. But And my, my laser engraver is actually designed to make rubber stamps. Oh, perfect. Yeah. And I've never made a rubber stamp before. I mean, before, I don't know if you saw the first one that I did because it had text. Whenever you make a stamp, you need to mirror your text. So I wasted an hour and a half. I saw you didn't, you didn't do it backwards. Yeah. It looks, it looks really nice, but. I've done that with film transfer. I, I saw that post and, uh, you know, a film transfer is not as in depth as making a stamp, but I saw that and I felt your pain, brother. <laughs> so moving on, look, all right, maybe you, you don't want to disclose this. We'll edit this out if you don't want. I was going to talk to you about this in person. I told you I was going to pick your brain. Yeah. I completely, I totally understand the art of the sale. Okay. But yeah. how do you get celebs? to come snag all your merchandise. For example, for our listeners who don't know, when we were at um, Scarefest in Kentucky, you had made a bunch of uh, burritos, put uh, Friday the 13th part of, uh, was that five? Yeah, five five on there. And Miguel come over and bought them all. You ran forward <laughs> to the booth. Do you like approach them? You ran behind my booth. So when I first started doing this, and I started doing individual cards for celebrities, my intention was I would do a couple for every show and then maybe someone would buy one and like get it signed by the celebrity and then maybe the celebrity would be interested in it. Maybe I could sell something to the celebrity. Um, and that started with, uh, with like Richard Masur, Clark from the thing last September. Um, and I gave him one of my cards and he absolutely, and he, to the point where we were actually right across from each other for the whole show. So that was really nice. Um, he took all of my Clark cards and sold them at his table and he was, he actually gave me shit afterwards. He's like, I'm out of cards. You didn't make enough. What's going on, Josh? Yeah. I'm like, I'm, I'm getting shit from Clark from the thing for not making enough cards right now. This is awesome. And it was pretty much that show that I decided to start going around and actually asking the celebrities. I went over to Tom Matthews and I gave him the Alka-Seltzer card for Return of the Living Dead. I and mean, he was actually impressed. He's like, yeah, we actually really used Alka-Seltzer. Where'd you figure that out? I'm like, I just guess because it looked like good Alka-Seltzer in your mouth. And I took, uh, I took Ken Forey a card and Ken Forey was really appreciative of it. I actually went over to Ken Forey and talked to him a bunch of times, um, to the point where I think I was upsetting William Forsythe, who was across from him because he kept giving me like the evil eyes because he's like, where the fuck's my shit? What the hell, man? Same thing with the guy who played Windows and, uh, and the thing. So I had a card for Clark, but I didn't have a card for Windows and Windows was right next to Clark and the whole show of Windows kept giving me shifty, like, look, like, where's my shit? What the fuck, man? Like, what is, <laughs> um, and now it's to the point where like we were at Horror Hound. And someone bought uh, Gene Carlo's custom chicken card. Uh, they went and got it signed. And he actually sent someone to come get me. He sent some person who bought the card, came back, and she was like, uh, Gene Carlo came here and told me that he wanted to see you uh, with a couple of your cards. Uh, he, he, he gave me a selfie for free, so I had to come over here and tell you this. And I'm like, well, I'm getting messengers from Gus coming over here telling me they want my chicken cards. All right. The same thing happened with Martin Cove, that show, um, Sensei Grease. Um, now it's to the point where I can just bring a celebrity a card and they, they like them so much they'll sign one for me. So every show I go to, uh, if I make the card for someone, I'm sure to bring it over to that person, have them sign it. And then, uh, and then I get one signed. 
Yeah, I didn't know if it was like if you just went to them and portrayed yourself as a fan. Well, not portrayed because you are, but I mean, went to them as a fan and say, hey, can you sign this? Like, oh, where'd you get that? Hey, I make them. And just try to like bring it up in conversation. Or if you approach them like, I made these, are you interested? And did like a cold sale. When I first started doing this, it was a cold sale. Like, because I'm before I was in hospitality, I was in retail sales. I was buying computers. So I had no, no problem approaching people and like giving them a little spiel. Um, I found that maybe not abrasive, but like maybe like weren't really too interested in it. So I stopped doing the sale approach and now I just pretty much get one sign. There's been times where like Steven Dorf asked for all his cards, uh, Ricky Dean Martin uh, bought all his cards. So I won't push it, but like if they want them, like I'll sell them to him. Like Miguel Nunez, Nunez, <laughs> he came behind my booth and was pulling stuff out of my long boxes. And I was like, yo, dude, <laughs> you need to chill. Like we, I, will, I will sell you these things, but like, you know, let's, let's just take a step back and like, let's talk for a minute and, you know, we'll take care of you. Um, yeah, but you know, from like 50, 50, you know, it generally, if I go to a show, I'm going to sell pretty much a stack of cards to somebody now. So like every show I sell multiples to at least one person. Right. Yeah. You're really building a namesake for yourself. And again, that's, it's actually great because like you said earlier, it's, it's teetering on that. Is this legal or not? Just because. You know what I mean? It's it's a bootleg kind of knockoff novel. I, I use the word novelty. I think it kind of, uh, you know, covers everything. But So I call it like product art, you know, because it's not like I want to compare myself to Warhol, but Warhol painted Campbell scans because it was an everyday thing that you saw every day. I've been told by both legal representation and like celebrities that what I'm doing is considered to be OK. Um, like I had Doug Bradley. Uh, I gave him one of his painted costume cards, which was a set of nails. And the joke behind that is, it's been the, our, so I looked at it and he's like, there's only 10 nails here. This isn't enough to my head. And I'm like, well, the thing is, if you get 10 and call me and I'll bring you the rest. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he loved the name. He, he was, he was, uh, I don't know if you've met Doug. He's very, very deep English accent. So he would say, what leg is fuck? And then let out like a bellowing laugh to the point where his wife came over and she's like, what's so funny? And she was looking at it and she's like, this is hysterical. And Doug was like, I would wonder if anyone would come at you legally and his wife looked at the card and i guess his wife is another artist who goes after who holds a lot of his trademarks or looks at after a lot of his trademarks and she looked at it and she was like no this is perfectly fine i would consider something like this parody the the name at the bottom is you know what i would consider to be a disclaimer so and i have had lawyer tell me that as well but you know when you get stuff into like a like a court of law in front of a judge you know everything, everything's a little bit different so i don't advertise them too much if uh I have 200, so if somebody doesn't like one, I've got no problem pulling it out of my catalog. Just kind of play it by ear. I was going to ask if you had a, a favorite celebrity story, but you just told us a whole bunch. I mean, is there one above and beyond the rest, or you've already told us some cool ones? You know, uh, probably, again, Richard Vassour. Um, so, like, have you seen License, uh, License to Drive with Corey Haim, Corey Feldman, the Corys? So, for, I think that was the first Corys movie. So, I saw that movie way before I saw The Clinic. Like, I was five or six when License to Drive came out, and I saw that, like, the weekend of and Richard Masseur plays Les's dad. And that's pretty much the column throughout the movie, Les's dad, Les's dad. So when I met Richard Masseur, I approached him and I'm like, hey, Les's dad. And he's like, excuse me? And I'm like, oh yeah. You know, when I saw The Thing, I saw you in The Thing. And as a kid, you know, I saw The Thing when I was like eight or nine. I'm like, why is Les's dad messing around with all these dogs? And he thought that was the funniest thing. He's like, there's most people recognize him from The Thing and not the other way around. That was kind of funny. Steven Dorff. I used to sell these, uh, like My Cabin by the Woods. Have you seen Cabin in the Woods? Yeah. They, they have the collapsible bong. I made my own, my own version out of that out of a cup. And I had Stephen Dorff buy one. And I was trying to show him how to use it. And he was like, nah, that's too complicated. He's like, don't worry about it, though. He's like, I just collectible bong. So this is just going to go on. <laughs> that's awesome. No, it's funny. Uh, uh, Adam, one of the, uh, the organizers of Motor City Legacy that we're all going to be at. 
Actually, this episode comes out after that, so that we've already all been at. He was saying the same thing. Him and I, we like to go to celebrities and not talk about. He's like, yeah, when I met Judd Nelson, I'm like, hey, let's talk about Beethoven three, you know, or I'm like, yeah, I want to meet, I want to meet Robert England, talk about, uh, you know, Adventures of Ford Fairlane, you know, yeah, why, why go talk about? And he loves that. Uh, that's actually kind of funny because when I met Robert England, I talked to him about Ford Fairlane. He's like, really? I met him. I had a, I did a V card, and I'm signing one of my V cards. Um, and we talked Ford Fairlane a couple of years ago. When I was gonna, actually, I was getting a nightmare glove signed when we talked Ford Fairlane. He was so impressed that someone remembered that he was in that movie. I guess he did that movie in between parts four and parts five. He did all his stunts for Ford Fairlane. And if you say he's all over the place in that movie. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Off topic with, uh, I did, I, it just occurred to me, um, I had a funny story with Michael Berryman, Pluto from uh, Hills of Eyes. We were, for some reason, we started talking about Steven Seagal. Everyone knows Steven Seagal. You guys know the Gene LaBelle, Steven Seagal story? No. Don't know the Gene LaBelle, Steven Seagal story? Do, do you know who Gene LaBelle is? Judo Gene? He's, you've seen him. He's one of those people that you see. He's always a henchman in every movie in the 90s. He's always in the background. Short and stocky. I know who you're talking about now. Red hair. He's a, he looks like a, like a red ape. He's a big stocky dude. They called him Judo Gene. He was a judo master, stunt coordinator on a lot of action movies. And I think it was, I want to say it was a set of Under Siege. So Seagal, used to and still does hit stuntmen. So like when he's fighting, he will hit stuntmen. He's put stuntmen's head through windows, caused massive damage or injuries. A lot of people don't like working with him because he'll he'll hit people for real. He was with Gene LaBelle and they were outside some trailers and Steven's like, I can't be choked out. And LaBelle's like, no, no, no. Anybody can be choked out. Let me just show you the correct technique. So LaBelle gets behind Steven to choke him out. And before he can get into his hold, uh, Steven forearms him right in the, right in the Johnson. Gets him, gets him right in the boys. Um, and LaBelle, you know, was picked up a little bit and fell back down. And as soon as he came back down, he kind of reached around Seagal and pulled him by the neck and put his leg out and put Seagal right on his ass and knocked all the air out of him. And LaBelle ended up getting fired from that production uh, to the point where, like, the end of the story ends where Steven's walking. He has, two, he has two bodyguards. And the bodyguards start taking a step towards LaBelle. And Steven kind of recomposes himself and does the whole, no, 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 it was fair. I was a dick and I got, I got put in my place and walked away. And that's what, and that's what, uh, me and Michael Berryman were talking about. Uh, my, Michael Berryman, I went to get, uh, I do the doubles reject chicken butter card and I went to get that signed by Michael Berryman. And Michael Berryman was talking about Steven Seagal to the person in front of me. And the person in front of me was obviously a Steven Seagal fan and didn't want to hear a bad Steven Seagal story. And I heard Michael Berryman say the word LaBelle and I kind of like stuck my head around this dude and said, Judo Gene, roll out. And Michael Berryman's eyes went right to me. And this dude that he was talking to just kind of like sidestepped out of the conversation and I just kind of like moved in his place. And Michael, <laughs> Berry, Michael Berryman and I talked about how much Steven Skull sucks. <laughs> <laughs> it was a lot of fun. That's a great segue into the, and by the way, here's a chicken fucker card. Yes, here's a chicken fucker card for you. And he's like, this is awesome. I'm like, thank you. You boys don't plan on fucking these chickens, do you? <laughs> I love that movie. <laughs> That's kind of what he was saying when he was uh, when he was writing out the autograph. Because you, I think on the, on the card you wrote uh, uh, Rhode Island Red Cleveland. I love that. <laughs> He's like, you boys aren't fucking these chickens, right? I'm like, yeah. Well, I tell you what, I look forward to collaborating with and uh, you know and seeing what else you come up with down the line. I also want to thank you again for helping me on the the start of my 3D printer journey. Oh, no problem, man. You've been invaluable. Um, yeah, I mean, thanks to you, I can walk through that process now instead of crawling. I mean, I, I mumble and swear to myself, but I can walk. I can walk, Dan. I, I'm running, um, I'm doing chainsaws right now for this independent guy for this movie called Let Us End, and I'm having a problem with the bottom. So we all have problems. Like, I'm having a problem with the bottoms of the chainsaws adhering to the bed. 
So it's it's always on a top line. There's always something new. There's always something funky. It's 3D printing. They just break to break. I mean, seriously, that that last go around where I was, you know, venting online, that's how bad it got. I was on Facebook going, fuck this, help me, what do I do? And um, (laughs) it was a a wire came loose. And you would have never known. I had to tear the whole freaking thing apart. I just kind of stumbled across this loose wire, you know. Speaking of 3D printers, you were... You were talking a second ago about uh, Ventures of Ford Fairlane and, and Robert England. I have looked and looked, and I cannot find a Flintstone ring. And so I, <laughs> I think one of us is going to have to make a Flintstone ring. Okay. The race is on. But... <laughs> Are you just going to keep riding the wave that you've created for yourself, or do you plan to expand? You know, I mean, you, you beat me to the punch on the light-up toys, which is really cool. Uh, what's next for Bootleg as Fuck Toys? Um, so I've been doing like larger prints. Like I did, uh, I just did, I did like half scale sledgehammers for Nunez because he had been, he's carrying around a sledgehammer and return of living dad. Um, I did Chucky's hammer. I did the killing hammer for Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So I'm trying to get more like full size props, something a little bit larger. I still like the cars though. Cars are still going to be like 95% of my, my general attitude. There's, I've been repackaging there's critters on Amazon. You guys have probably seen them, the wacky looking kind of goofy looking critters and dropping those into hanging tags. Those do really well. Like the strong hand stuff. Uh, you seen a strong hand from scary movie yet? The print that came out. So, so we have a whole box right there. <laughs> and then <laughs> nice. we do the scary movie. <laughs> that thing is a multi-purpose toy tool, whatever you want it to be. Back scratcher. Oh yeah. So we were at Horhound, and before we even opened it, Horhound, I, I think I had eight, I had two vendors buy them and they pulled them out. And because it's still kind of old out, everyone had hoodies on. So they started walking around and they were tapping people on the shoulder. So I had, <laughs> I was swarmed by other vendors wanting strong hands before the show. I sold out before the show. <laughs> Great thing to add to anyone's inventory is the strong hand. <laughs> it's very cool and i mean it's it's great to see someone like you having fun and gaining some success out of it you know you get to have a blast and um you're doing well everybody receives you really well so super cool and i mean now you're on the i like a spooky horror podcast so i mean now it's you're just automatically an instant classic thank you <laughs> so now this episode comes out april 30th we're actually recording this one um quite a bit earlier than what we normally do. Can you off top of your head, tell us what shows you've got coming up after, you know, where, where's bootleg as fuck toys going to be after legacy? Um, April. So I actually, um, so legacy is my last show for a minute because we're moving. I'm, I'm moving a little bit further North. So May, June, it's kind of out, uh, just packing the house and shit. I do have Astro in Michigan, Astro 6.5 coming up June 24th and 25th. That's my first show back. Um, then after that, looking at like flashback in August, probably horror hound in Indian August, days in November. Um, oh, and then Kansas City, July 7th through 9th, Crypticon. I want to say September, end of the month, Minnesota Crypticon. We're stacked. We have some shows coming up. I'm thinking, I think we're going to skip Scarefest this year though, because the table price is going real high. I was going to, I mean, it went up like 150 bucks, you know, and it's, it's, for me, it's a travel, you know, well, I, I'm not for sure exactly where you are, but I think we're about the same distance from Wisconsin. It's farther for you then. It's, uh, it's eight hours. And uh, so I wasn't going to do it, but uh, you hear me, hear me talk about Ted from Ted's Marvelous Custom Gumball Emporium, which if you haven't met Ted, um, you'll meet him at Legacy, which again, this comes out afterwards. So you've already met him. But anyway, um, he really wanted to go. He hadn't been yet. And so he's like, come on, come on, come on. You've been there. Let's go. And so we're going to, you know, share expenses and go. We will see you, all of us here, we'll see you uh, at Flashback then. Yes. Yep. We'll, we'll be at Flashback. And then um, our buddy Chuck Ryan from Chuck Ryan Cosplay, I think, is going to Kansas City because I think Peter Cowper is going to be there. 
Yes, from uh, my buddy Valentine. So I think Chuck's planning on going going to that one. I have a stack of cards for him. <laughs> nice. So it sounds like you're going to be you know everywhere, including still with us in this episode to run through a movie here after we hear from someone else who is everywhere. Our podcast network, the PFPN. You're listening to the Prescribed Films Podcast Network, home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment. The shows on this network all have a common goal, providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media. The PFPN hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy. Visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com. Thanks for listening. So now that we've heard from our podcast network, let's talk movie. I don't know if this is horror or not. I mean, I think it's horror. Some people don't. We're talking about Silent Rage with Chuck Norris. What do you guys think? I think this movie is Frankenstein meets Halloween meets Reanimator meets Walker, Texas Ranger. That's it. We're done. That's the whole movie. We don't need to discuss anything more. I think it's like very Frankenstein, very horrorish. I like, uh, he has two of these movies. Have you seen Hero, Hero and the Terror? So Hero, Hero and the Terror, you haven't seen Hero and the Terror? Hero and the Terror is a little bit, is my, is out of the two, it's a little bit more grounded. Hero and the Terror is about Basically, Chuck Norris stops the serial killer. He's this real big dude. He does it on accident. Like, this dude's drowning him, and he gets hit in the head with something and kind of falls off him. And then as Chuck Norris is arresting him, everyone comes down and sees him, and they praise Chuck Norris to be this great this great hero for capturing this this terror. And again, Chuck Norris feels guilty the whole movie because he didn't really ca- he captured the dude, but it was kind of like on chance, and he knew if it was like an even fight, this dude would have killed him. Uh, meanwhile, this, this terror guy is in a mental institution, and he breaks out. And how Norris is tasked with finding him again, and because he did it the first time, so he needs to do it the second time. It's a lot, a lot of training montages. It seems it's a little bit more grounded in reality, opposed to like you know giving somebody like regeneration powers. But I mean, it's still I, I like Silent, I like Silent Rage, and I like I like Girl. They're both both good movies. I still say that though that this Silent Rage is like the poor man's Halloween. It's like Halloween without Michael Myers, but with the same great like synth score, and then you know of course. Chuck Norris and karate. The fight between um, Kirby and, oh, what's his name? Allman. Dr. Dr. Allman. That fight is very, very close to the fight between Myers and Jimmy Lee Curtis with a not as pleasant of an outcome in Halloween, but uh, the, the fight hails back to that. I think I feel a lot. That very physical altercation where Kirby's tearing through the house looking for, for Allman and then kind of surprises him. And then when Allman's wife comes home, pretty much you have the exact same thing. Even some of the scenes that they shot for that, it made it look like it was, it could be Michael Myers there. Kind of had the jumpsuit on, the lighting was well done. And well, even the, uh, so this, and this is why I use the, uh, for the car picture, this, the hallway shot when, um, it was a Dr. Vaughn had just given him the injection and then he's coming back to the quarter and he just kind of stops and he's like, Kirby, is that you? <laughs> so very, very, like, very slasher, very stalkerish. Norris watched some, some slasher movies and I was like, we're doing this. I don't know how that doctor character didn't know that was the killer John Kirby because I thought they did a real good job of they, they made him very, um, for as weird and kind of out there in sci-fi as this was, the regeneration serum and all that, 
John Kirby, his killer traits were kind of grounded to use your word, Josh. He was very like animalistic in his movements. He was almost kind of like they had him like a monkey, almost like a crazed ape. And his his sounds were very, ah, you know, just growling and stuff. But Very primal. But no, I mean, uh, so going back to kind of like my tongue in cheek stuff is this very well could have been a Tales of Haddonfield story. And you were saying about how the, the fight scene there mimicked the Halloween thing. Uh, I wonder this maybe, maybe this inspired Halloween ends because they're both similar to Halloween movies. They both don't really have Michael Myers in them and they both have motorcycles. So <laughs> it's true. <laughs> well, you know what? At the end, it was Danny McBride who wrote Halloween ends, right? So maybe Danny McBride was watching Chuck Norris and I was like, yeah, Kenny Powers can write this. Kenny Powers can write Chuck Norris and Halloween, <laughs> Halloween ends. If it is connected and it, it did help inspire, then it's actually, this is actually inspired directly from Frankenstein then. What's the guy? The last name's Miller. So the director, Michael Miller. And then Michael Miller, he said the film, he said the film was not inspired by slasher movies. And um, he said to him, it was always Chuck Norris meets Frankenstein. Frankenstein is almost, almost a monster, monster movie. Could almost be a slasher movie. They're a little bit, not really. I mean, he does kill that little kid. It's it's so weird to say this wasn't slasher inspired. It feels very slasher. I guess you can't say it was slasher inspired because this actually came out when all the freaking really cool slasher movies were coming out. So maybe it wasn't necessarily slasher inspired, but it was just um, a reflection of the time that it came out in 1982. A lot of movies were doing the, the first person stuff after Halloween and, and capitalizing on that. But uh, so back to the opening, in my opinion, it was a super relatable opening. Just watching the breakdown of the killer. You know what I mean? It wasn't like some crazy far fetched thing. Like you could see why he, and of course, he was mentally unstable. He had some issues <clears throat> and the kids and the heat and the old lady screaming and all that stuff. But what I thought was interesting is when he actually snaps, it was like um, a metaphor, like the the killers in the hen house, the foxes in the hen house. Because remember, he like kind of he's freaking out and then he goes to the freaking like chicken coop or whatever and then comes out with the axe and that's it. Transformation, game done or game over, you know. And the, the lines that he does say in the movie, I think he really does sell them when he's telling Silver that he can't, I can't take it anymore. I'm going to. It's I I'm it's ain't gonna happen and, and I think I think he really sells that and you really get a, a good perspective on him like freaking out and just like you just watch him kinda of falling apart and losing it right there. Well I think the guy that played John Kirby was like a, he was a stunt man. So I don't even think he was he had some other acting, but I don't think he did a lot. It was Brian Libby. Um he actually he this was he was in another Chuck Norris movie in like eighty seven and then he was in a couple episodes of uh Walker Texas Stranger. He always played a bad guy though. He was always like the dude in the background. He was always like second henchman. Never had like a lot of like uh, like key starring roles. Well, all I know is watching him try to axe through the door to get to the lady who was screaming at the kids in the beginning. There, <laughs> it took forever, and it kind of made me feel like I was playing Friday the Thirteenth the game, and I had like the Jason with the weak stats. It took like seventy two wax to get into the cabin door. I'm like, oh my god, it was, it was very The Shining. It was. This was a first watch for me, and um, I think the guys on here kind of hyped it up before we decided to do this, so I was excited to get into it. Took a while. I loved it when though the ladies getting murdered at the beginning, and Chuck Norris is just taking his time getting in the house, walking in very methodical, no gun out, no nothing. It's just <laughs> well, you. I think you you expect a different movie from Chuck Norris. You don't expect him to be. You expect him to be jumping out of helicopters. Like, uh, so my wife is not Sarah is not a big Chuck Norris fan. She does not like Chuck Norris at all, and I made her. Wa- I've made her watch this twice. <laughs> <laughs> she she's like and she said the same thing she's like we don't she's like well, it's chuck norris like we're not watching he can't act and i'm like well you don't watch chuck norris act you watch him to kick things and she's like well he's not kicking anything either though and i'm like 
Uh, you know, he does act a little bit better when he's hanging from a helicopter shooting in his opposed to kind of trying to be surprised when he runs into his old girlfriend. And then, and, and why are we casting Stephen first as an deputy flounder animal house? That was, I thought that was odd too. I understand that you need like comic relief, but literally, like literally if, if these are the only two cops in town, you have a one cop police force at this point because flounder's not doing anything except floundering. <laughs> I don't know that, that part though. I mean, uh, he did great. Oh, he was a great comic relief, great tension breaker. And it was almost, it was almost kind of like, like, uh, Mayberry. He was Don Knotts, basically. He was, he was. But just, you, I don't know if you, uh, but again, that would be, it would be when they had the interaction with the bikers, um, and like the, the biker lady flashes tits and he was like, oh my God, they're so, you know, and then he's back outside and he's on the police radio talking about how much he wants to go back in and ask this girl for a date. That's where he's perfect. But when he's when he's confronted by Kirby at the end of the movie and Kirby bear hugs him, it's just it's 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 cringeworthy. He's not Flounder does not need to be in that role. Flounder is much better in the confused. I saw some movies, cop role, very innocent, very like in a horror situation. I just didn't. I don't, it, to me, it didn't play. I would have much rather seen someone who was maybe a little bit physically more like impending because it looked like at that point Kirby was just like kind of like killing a kid. Yeah, you don't need more than one police officer. Chuck Norris is the sheriff. He just needs somebody to drive him around. I mean, that's true. He's like, this kid will drive me around, and I can share my onions with him. You're hired. <laughs> they they needed that scene because if you saw, it was like kind of like the most acting from Chuck in the movie. Oh yeah. When uh, when he gets killed, all of a sudden, man, Chuck's face goes from flat to flat angry and he just starts walking with a purpose it's like game on that's it and i thought that's got picks up he picks up uh flounder's gun he's like that's it we're we're doing this now which is surprising because he meets his old girlfriend and has to go through the entire horror of her brother and sister getting killed and he's like yeah that sucks and but flounder dies i was like he's pissed nobody kills nobody (laughs) nobody kills flounder yeah he was detached from everything else but i mean you know because maybe maybe flounder Flounder represented his uh, his funny, innocent side. So you didn't kill a cop. You just killed, like, part of Chuck Norris. You killed his heterosexual life mate. You killed, you were speeding, and I'm going to let you off with a warning, Chuck Norris. Now it's, you're getting a fucking ticket. <laughs> you were talking about um, the bar scene with the bikers, and this is probably actually the most absurd thing that I thought about the movie, and that is, you know, they had already bumped into the bikers at the diner earlier in the movie and told them to get out of town. And then they're driving by the bar and they see now there's like a bike gang at this bar. And so they like, you know, slam in their brakes and spin the truck around. And you can see that they wet down that little section of road. So the, the Bronco was <laughs> able to do that. You can see the soap. Exactly. Yeah, it was so terrible. But something I thought was interesting about that bar was I swear to God, it looks just like the choke and puke. Jerry Reed is a snowman stopped at and fought bikers in um, Smoking the Bandit. Man, it might be. If that bar was an actual bar. And that's hundred percent might be true. I need to go back, go back and watch Smoking the Bandit to see. I looked and tried to research. I couldn't find anything. But do you think they're like the bar needs a remodel? Just film a movie here with the biker fight. They'll tear everything up. We can redo it. Well, they they need again that that whole biker fight. The whole purpose of that was so they could so they could so Chuck Norris could kick things because we saw like even though there's there's a bad person, we need to have another element so Chuck Norris can kick stuff. <laughs> You know, we, we talked about this a little bit on the last episode. We had Brenton Edgen on and we were talking about shock cinema. But something else I thought was cool about this movie was, especially in the fight scenes and, and actually specifically in the beginning when John Kirby breaks down, there's no score. There's there's not that music isn't there to bring you up or take you down or make you feel a certain way. So it really gave it kind of like a realistic I'm watching this third person feel to it. 
I wonder if that was intentional or because this, so this was Chuck, this was the first movie put out by Topkick, which is Chuck Norris's production company. So I wonder if that was intentional or like maybe he didn't know better because he's never filmed a movie like this. So maybe we don't need any score. We've never been in this situation where, um, I know it, I know it probably isn't budgetary because it had a $4.5 million budget. So for that movie, yeah, $4.5 million. But yeah. <laughs> That movie was a was a family production. There were there were two other Norris's behind the scenes. He had a he had like his brother, uh, Aaron Norris was the stunt coordinator and a producer, and then uh, or no, Aaron Norris was uh, the stunt coordinator, and then he had his brother Mike Norris as a producer. Maybe this is where the money went because speaking of music, the song that played during the sex scene between Chuck Norris and the Allison character, his ex girlfriend there that he bumped into, was Peg Bundy, Katie Seagal, sing that song. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. Really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She didn't write the song or produce it or whatever. So I don't know. If she was, I think back then she was trying to you know, maybe start a, a singing career and then wound up in acting. I'm not for sure how that worked out for her. A lot of the fun stuff. We're talking about a lot of the like cool early 80s kind of uh, masculine type Southern Texas fight scene stuff. But to get back into the horror stuff of it and something that Jason, I'm curious if you if you notice this. There's a scene when the three doctors are arguing at the Institute. Was, I think it's after they uh, revive John Kirby and they're arguing about it, all three of them. If they're going to give them that serum. Something like that. I can't remember specifically, but in the background on the wall, there's a clown. This little clown doll hanging there. Did anybody else see that? I, no, I didn't miss that one. It, it was weird because it was completely out of place. And again, this this movie reminded me of Halloween. And I thought, I wonder if that clown's hanging there and it has something to do with the infant stages of the John Kirby afterlife or reanimated character and the beginning of Michael Myers starting as this clown. I know that's like way deep and I'm probably way off the beaten path, but <laughs> go back, go back and watch the movie. It could be, maybe it's from Poltergeist. I thought that too, but then I figured there wasn't like a connection between the two movies, but go back. Anybody listen, if you didn't catch it, go back and watch. And there's a clown on the wall for no apparent reason. Maybe it's like a... Uh... When Raimi did the Hills Have Eyes tap or tip to uh, Craven. Yeah, I thought that too. And then all of a sudden, maybe nobody picked up on it until now. <laughs> I win. Of course, everybody's going to give me the prize is dead, but you know. I feel like you're just trying to make me watch this movie again just to go back and see that part. Like, ugh. <laughs> this is a comfort movie, man. This is a this is like a leftover movie. This is you wake up the day after Easter and you're like, oh, I'm going to make myself a ham sandwich and feel good. This is like, oh, Silent Rage is on. I'm going to sit down and watch it. Yep, absolutely. Clint, you're tying it into Halloween, and that was kind of my tie-in, and that's why I thought Jason would like it. Agreed. Maybe not. Maybe he doesn't like it because he's a Halloween fan, but if you take Halloween 1, Michael doesn't go away from that gunshot. They take him to the hospital or the institute, and they take Jamie Lee Curtis to the same place, and they give Michael a serum or whatever. That explains Everything from that point forward in the Halloween series, why he can't be killed. Because Michael not being able to be killed is super ridiculous. He's just a normal guy. Well, I think in, so in, the, in the original Halloweens, I don't think they show Michael getting up and running away. Well, the first Halloween, Loomis was supposed to kill him when he followed. That was supposed to be the end of the movie. And, yeah, end of the movie. And then they were like, no, 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 we need to, we need to do another one. And somebody getting up and walking away after 638. I mean, like, yeah, okay, Stranger Things 
have happened. And like at the end of, I think four, between four and five, they kind of show Mike doing like a recuperation thing. But like to the point, like I think it was Halloween Kills when they were outside and they like shot him a bunch of times and then they beat him up and stabbed him. And then he got back up. I think that's to the point where Danny McBride wasn't really a Halloween fan, but just wanted to write a slasher movie. Yeah, but if you take Michael and you give him this serum, then you have a reason that he can't be killed. Yeah, no, that was that, and that would definitely be a little bit more. And maybe that's maybe that's what Norris wanted to do. Maybe Norris saw Halloween and he wanted to make like this isn't right. Let's make a like, like a, a believable version of this. Yeah, it's believable. I mean, we got to be real careful. We got to be careful because Jason is about to mimic Chuck Norris when Flounder <laughs> dies, and his face is going to go to rage, and he's going to just march over and kill all three of us. Here's the goofiest thing about that, though. So you've got Ron Silver playing his doctor, who's a, who's a psychiatrist, right? Like, this dude is a brain doctor, and he's sitting there chest-popping Kirby when he knows if he shoots him in the head, the dude's going to die. Well, and the doctor turned into a surgeon afterwards. So he's a psychiatrist, but then he's in the operating room trying to save him. I'm like, I, I don't know how it was in the 80s, but... <laughs> well, they did make they did make a little... There was the banter between the doctors, and that scene was going on. And uh, Jason's like, fuck you, Clint. And um, there was the the, uh, the guy who wanted to regenerate him said something about, oh, you should get back into surgery or you shouldn't have left surgery or something. Oh, okay. Good point. That dude's a bad guy and everything. That's that's the bad guy from Johnny Dangerously. Have you ever seen Johnny Dangerously? That's the, I, this is a 40, 48 Magnum that goes through schools. <laughs> oh, shit. I wrote his name down. I got to find it in my list of notes here. Because he was in, uh, he was in Death Wish also. He was in a lot of, like, Stephen Keats. Early 70s, though. Yeah, Stephen Keyes. Thank you. Thank you. Well, and talking about Ron Silver, Ron Silver basically played the same role in the same year, 1982, because he was the psychiatrist. More, yeah, he was a psychiatrist in uh, The Entity with Barbara Hershey. Ron Silver pretty much plays the same. He's either evil Ron Silver or good Ron Silver. You don't really get a variation <laughs> of, like, different Ron Silvers. It's just like, I'm going to be good Ron Silver. And good Ron Silver and evil Ron Silver are pretty much the same person until he shifts, like, halfway <laughs> through the movie. He'll shift either evil, evil or good. Blue Steel. With Jamie Lee Curtis, I think he plays the like the love interest that actually really frames Jamie Lee Curtis for killing this for or messes up her career more the robbery that she was that she stopped. But that's the same thing. Like he's kind of good. He's neutral Ron Silver until halfway through, and then he flips to bad Ron Silver. Well, he looked really good as dead Ron Silver because you talked earlier, Josh, uh, the, the <laughs> scenes between Killer John Kirby and Ron Silver in his house. I loved all the tension that was created there. I thought that was all well done. But when they finally, I was really impressed with. I was just going to say when they, when they do the, the slasher reveals and he's hanging from the door and he's you know pale because he's been dead for a while. I thought that was a great look. <laughs> that That's exactly. Yeah, that was, that's what I was going to comment on when when she finds him and he's uh, when the when the wife finds him and he's like still fresh looking around silver. And then the sister comes back and she finds like I've been dead for a couple hours around silver. I thought the makeup I thought the makeup was very nice. Very believable. It was probably the only time where I've never I didn't confuse him with Andy Garcia. I used to always confuse Ron Silver and Andy Garcia. He, he looked nothing like him. Maybe he looked like dead Andy Garcia. I've never seen dead Andy Garcia. And if Andy Garcia and Ron Silver grow their hair out, then they're Al Pacino and Serpico. <laughs> exactly. Talk about six degrees of separation. This is kind of, I have this in my notes. It's kind of silly, but we talked earlier about uh, the director said this was, Michael Miller said that this was you know inspired by Frankenstein. The scene when, towards the end of the movie, when the third doctor decides to give John Kirby the hydrocortisone, or hydrocortisone, like the hydrochloric acid or whatever, the shot to kill him. And they do that kind of the hydrocortisone. You're itchy, John Kirby. Um, and it's like the, the the long shot from up top. It looked very Frankenstein. That's what I thought. You had like this thing, metal thing over him, and he's laying there with the sheet. Well, they kept they kept bringing him back to that like uh, to that operating room 
like to like reach like kind of almost like RoboCop or RoboCop had to sit in the chair. And they keep bringing him back to like this dirty basement, like nobody knows about, like secret operating room essentially. A lot of Frankenstein vibes. So with the serum, they had to they had to keep giving it to him though, right? To keep him like it wasn't just a one time dose. They kept doing it to like keep bringing him back. Uh, they weren't really like he would so like he'd get wounded and come back and like because they showed him. I think the scenes where they showed him like regenerating on the table, he was like he had the serum. But I don't know. I don't know because when when Silver shoots him, he dies for a minute, and then he kind of he comes back later, or or he's maybe he's playing possum. I don't think they kept giving him the serum. I think they were just removing the bullets, and because he could regenerate, but I don't think um he could you know pop bullets out of himself. That's what I thought is they were just operating to you'll get bullets out of them. They might have given them the serum again. I, I didn't think they did, but I think the point where when like when when Spears, the evil dude is uh showing silver that he can like slash him open and he just like seals back up. Really good effect there too. Um and he makes the point to be like is he boy still on life support and they and Spears is like is he? And they pull the life support off. I think at that point he's had all of that that he needs and then he's just John Kirby the Terminator at that point. <laughs> like you had said they gave him so much that he got to the point where his DNA was altered and his brain was altered. Cause they did some testing and he's looking through films at one point through the movie. He's looking at films at one point and he's like, Oh, and then he, it kind of clicks that this is what they did. You know, cause when the, the killer comes to his office, he's like, you and I are the only two people, or I'm the only person alive that knows how we made you. At that, again, the scene where they take him off the life support, I want to say they discuss like the dosage they had to give him. I think they did, they're like we, we ended up giving him like five five million units of this, and like that was enough to kickstart us to just do this. But yeah, I think I think that I think the life supports. I think that's kind of like the the scene where okay, he's he's a human now. He's, he's crazy, or unstoppable. It doesn't even have blood run through his body. It's just serum now. <laughs> that is that is the blood. <laughs> like that's his blood. But you know, speaking of that, another movie this made me think of is, uh, and we've covered this on the show before too, is Overlord. I know that night and day, as far as the premise of the movie's overlord was, you know, World War II Nazis and stuff. But the same thing, they were reviving people with this, you know, uh, serum that they didn't know much about. And then the people just reacted, obviously, violently. Uh, Puppet Master was Nazis trying to get the serum. I think in part three, they dive into that, where the Nazis are trying to revive dead soldiers and they're trying to get two arms serum, essentially. Then you got to wonder if this stuff is all actually inspired by H.P. Lovecraft, because Reanimator was... H.P. Lovecraft story from way back in the day. One thing I want to know, we'll never find out. I don't know if there is a way to find out, but towards the end of the movie, before um, Stephen Keats, the, the main evil doctor there, before John Kirby breaks in the office and kills him, he's looking through some stuff and he goes, of course, like he figured out, you know, the missing piece of the puzzle that would make this work. And he's sitting in his office and he's sitting there drinking and, you know, he's getting ready to explain it to John Kirby and John kills and breaks his neck. He figured something out, but we'll never know what it was. What he was probably looking at was Kirby's arrest record, and he was probably thinking, why is this guy killing everybody? And then pulls up Kirby's arrest record, and he's like, of course, he's a psychopath. He's probably looking at a Sudoku puzzle. A Sudoku puzzle. (laughs) We kind of got away from Chuck Norris, who was obviously a big part of this movie, but now we're at the end. Flounder's dead. The doctors are dead. You know, a lot of people I've seen comment about, oh, this movie was slow and boring, but I thought that the movie was doing its best throughout the whole movie to build up these two polar opposite characters as complete badasses and then crescendo at the end with their fight scene. 
And, you know, they, they fight a little bit in the hospital. Chuck Norris kicks John Kirby out of like the fifth story window. He hits the ground, thinks that he's dead. You find out that he's not. There's the cool scene where they hop in the car to drive away because Chuck Norris finally had a flight scene and he's never fight or flight. He's always fight, but then he was like, oh my God, fuck this. So he's got it. They're trying to drive away. John Kirby grabs onto the rear bumper of the Bronco there or whatever. That was a great scene. And then yes, yes, they end in the woods and have that great fight scene by the well. Did you know about, you know about the fundraiser, right? No. You guys, that you never, so in December of 1982, four local men to the area in Texas started a fundraiser to raise money to rescue John Kirby from the bottom of that well. And they raised, <laughs> I want to say it was $6.2 million to get John Kirby out of the well. Somebody's poisoned the water hole. Do you know when that was found out when they, when they got caught? If you had to take a stab at it, it's 1982. How long do you think these guys got away with it? Well, the, the people who are smart enough to raise money to get a fictional character out of a well, so it probably took a good 30 years, I'm saying, to get that much of money. 2012. They had spent it by then, right? Oh, yeah, it was gone. I think they had a lot of money, and they were like, hey, you guys want to hear a funny story? Guess what? Statue limitations? So John's still in the well? Is that what you're telling me? He is still in the well. Oh, shit. See, that's what's wrong with this country. They save baby Jessica, but they can't save John Kirby. Baby Jessica's natural news. John Kirby's still in the well. From points that you guys brought up, I really think everybody should watch The Hero on the Terror. Because if you watch The Hero on the Terror, it's basically the same movie. But I think, so no, this was Norris's first movie where he had complete creative control. And I think he just went with some things that he thought worked and they didn't work. Um, like his no music, his no, uh, his the, the, the way that he built suspense in a movie where it's Chuck Norris. And Chuck Norris shouldn't really be in a building or a movie building suspense. Um, Hero on the Terror fixes a lot of that. There's a really good soundtrack to it. There's a lot of really good audio cues. Each person has their own soundtrack. Simon has a very menacing soundtrack. That's the bad guy. Norris is a very uplifting soundtrack. It's almost like uh, Fantasia, where all the bad elements are represented by very heavy tracks and light elements are represented by happy or upbeat tracks. It's, it's, it's essentially the same movie, but done what I think is much better and more I'm going to watch it tonight. I was looking for something to watch tonight, so <clears throat> I will check it out. I was going to, it's like, I, it was maybe, I think, I want to say it's like 1986, 1988. So it's like, right, he, a couple years later, he did this. I saw it pop up when I was looking at uh, the Internet Movie Database, uh, getting some silent rage information. And it was like at the bottom, if you like that movie, you like this movie. And it kind of sounds to me like I had a note here where I think um, there's a few other. I call them mashup movies that accomplished what this kind of horror-esque style without being a horror movie. And the first one that came, so Hero and the Terror sounds the same. But I think there's a, and I actually want to pitch this idea to you guys for us to cover one time, horror movies that aren't really horror movies. But another one um, from the era that it made me think of was uh, Play Misty for Me with Clint Eastwood. And I know that that's not the whole sci-fi reanimated killer, but it's almost a horror movie without really being a horror movie. And I wonder if that was kind of like unintentionally, maybe the, the, the direction for this movie was to make it a horror movie without being a horror movie. So it'd reach a broader audience. It wouldn't just hit a certain demographic. You'd also find your smoking the bandit fans, your Walker, Texas Ranger, your Kung Fu stuff, and just really reach that broad audience. Or maybe, I don't, or maybe Chuck Norris, wanted to be like John Carpenter and he made his first movie John Carpenter-ish and people were like, go back to kitchen shit. <laughs> it could be. I did see that um, this is an excerpt from a Variety article that was written about the film and they wrote that the film seems as if it were made with a demographic sampler entitled 10 Sleazy Ways to Cash In on the Exploitation Market. The only trouble is the film, 
the filmmakers have employed all 10 techniques in one picture. <laughs> I can guess. That, that also rings very true. Morris literally threw a bunch of ideas at the wall, whatever stuck is what he ran with. I think he was, ex he was probably excited to have, you know, full creative control over a movie and for people to be coming to him and being like, yo, Chuck, what do you want us to do? And he's like, let's try this. I know the, uh, he had trouble filming the romantic scenes because he felt awkward being the Tony Comet plane, whatever, Tony Pauline, whatever her name is, Tony. And those scenes were very awkward for him because again, he's used to chicken shit. He's now he's got to be tender and kind of sweet. So I guess Miller, the director, had to say, Hey, man, just have fun and relax and enjoy and just have a good time. She got her boobs out, man. He was his mental fluffer. So it was either, and, and, and maybe it was so awkward because that was her only nude scene. So maybe it was so awkward. She was like, You know what? I'll take, I'll take my top off for anybody else. Those were awkward for me. That was what I was like. The he acts like he's never kissed anybody before. I was like, what the fuck is he doing? It felt very forced. It wasn't like Tommy. Tommy was who in the room forced, but it was it was like, I don't know what to do with my It was Will Ferrell and Talladega Nights. Like, he's like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> it was only awkward for, for 10 year old me when mom came in without knocking, you know, but. <laughs> Last little note I have here. Someone else wrote about uh, Michael Miller uh, as far as the director. It says that Michael doesn't deal in sophisticated material, but he's surprisingly sophisticated in the way he handles raw material. And I thought that kind of encapsulated this movie, uh, you know, to kind of wrap it up. And that is this isn't really a sophisticated movie. It's just straightforward. But I think it's it's done well and as tasteful as it could be for what it is. I was asked, so it's almost it almost has like a made for TV feel to it. Like it was, it was made for like a Saturday night on ABC kind of feel. But I guess I think that harkens back to Chuck Norris feels like seems very wholesome. So I think he just likes kicking, kind of kicking things. Yeah, when I put the movie on the first time to watch it, my girlfriend Tiffany was sitting on the couch, and it starts, and she's like, "I thought you were watching a scary movie," and I'm like, "Well, it's a horror movie per se," and she's like, "Isn't that Walker Texas Ranger?" I was like, "That's Chuck Norris, but he's played uh -huh. in other stuff. Like, he's not just Walker Texas Ranger." Well, that's how I know him. Well, and Josh, you, you brought up being made for TV. This is another one of those movies that I saw on Saturday Shocker from you know, WGN uh, from in Chicago. I mean, you would have to edit out 30 seconds of boobs, and then it would be at that at that point it would be safe for TV. Jason, what do you what do you think? How would you, how would you rate this movie? So we, I watched it with my wife, and she brought up the whole Walker, Texas Ranger thing. It took her a little while to realize that, but she watched the movie with me, and she got up at the end, and she was like, yeah, I give it one bloody axe, and just walked away. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> it, it took me a second, and I'm like, it's, it's not very bloody. What? And she was like, yeah, you, you know, she, well, and I was like, she was like, you know how you do your ratings, and I'm like, oh, <laughs> I was so slow, I didn't <laughs> realize that. I was not a fan of the movie. Um, there was a lot of hype to it. I saw, I have in my notes, uh, Halloween ripoff. I mean, it, 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 there was so, I know they said it wasn't inspired so much by that, but a lot of it kind of was even the music, uh, uh, very little music, but when, you know, he was stalking outside of the doctor's house, they did the like screeching synthesized, you know, letting you know that he's there type thing. Um, I would give it four chopped up chickens in the chicken coop out of 10. It, it it seemed like it took forever to get going, and then it was kind of awkward with, like, the bikers. I guess they were just trying to fill in time and doing that, so I guess he's dealing with all the other stuff. Wasn't a big fan of it. Don't think I'll come back and watch it again. You have to to see the clown on the wall. 
And it sucks I watched it on Tubi, so I'll have to skip through the ads just to try to get to that scene. Then I'll probably miss it and have to watch more ads. <laughs> I have it on DVD. So, um, again, this is recorded after you guys came up but um, or before you guys came up. But uh, when you come up, I'm just going to slip you some drugs and make you watch it again. All right. There we go. <laughs> All right. What do you guys think? Who wants to go next? You can come over to my house and watch it on Blu-ray. <laughs> That means you would have to open it first. Yeah, it's not open. <laughs> hey, it was four ninety nine at Menards. He gets all his movies from Menards, Josh. You know, um, I was a truck driver for a summer. I went out with a buddy of mine, and we drove out of Salt Lake City. And whenever you would stop at any of the truck stops out there, they would have a movie section. I don't remember seeing Silent Lane. It would be more of movies like Black Dog. And they did, they'd had, they had the mission. They had missing missing in action. But I would totally, if I dug, I could see Silent Rage being a truck stop. Yeah, five bucks at Menards on Blu-ray. I couldn't pass it up. Take it back. Josh, now that you're an honorary spooky boy, Brian's just going to randomly buy you $5 movies from Menards. It's kind of how he like breaks you into the club. You're going to get something. Hey, I frankly love uh, uh, physical media. You need a copy of Bone Tomahawk? I got an extra. <laughs> <laughs> Did you say you hate physical media? Oh, no. I, I, love, I love physical media. That's one of the things. Oh, no, no, no. I'm uh, I'm the guy. when I When I go to conventions... I used to collect toys like that kind of stuff. I, I don't really, I've got too much of that crap now. Um, so I'm more of a, I go looking for like bootleg DVDs. Yeah. So like every convention, I'm always pulling like a stack of DVDs home. Hey, so that's something I was going to ask you when we were interviewing you earlier and I forgot to, I'm glad you brought that up. So I'm kind of cutting into our rate the movie segment here, but um, so you got hooked up with uh, Matt Harding and Severin Toys and have done some stuff exclusively for some of their showings. Brian's been working with Matt. Brian's been working with Matt. Um, they're going to be showing dead kids in Galesburg, Illinois. Yep. And then so Matt Matt was like, oh, we should have Josh make some toys. And then Brian's like, man, I'm sorry. I felt because I you know make the toys too. You obviously do more than I do because I do T-shirts and stuff <laughs> as well. And Brian's like, oh, man, I feel so bad. I didn't know what to say. And I was like, oh, no, no, no. I was like, Josh is an awesome guy, and he's hooked up with him. So absolutely, you know, don't don't go, well, no, I think Clint should do it. And then I went, well, you know, you're showing two movies. You know, maybe Josh could do one and I could do it. There you go. I've done, um, for Severn, I did, like, I did Grizzly, Wild Beasts, uh, Siege. Um, I did the Just Franco card, where it's just like a cigarette. That was uh, Matt personally requested the Just Franco card. So I did that one first. Matt's a great guy. I love Matt. Really nice guy. Oh, yeah, super cool guy. Yeah, very nice. Brian, uh, before I ask you what you're going to rate the movie. So whose turn is it to rate well, the yours, movie? But I got to ask you a question real quick. What was the uh, what was the tagline on the Blu-ray there? Josh brought up the best tagline ever. And I saw that uh, Silent Rage has like six different taglines. Which one's on there? Science created him. Now Chuck Norris must destroy him. Yeah, is that the one you were talking about, Josh? And that again, and I say that that's just one of the best taglines of the '80s, simply because it mentions Chuck Norris by name. Doesn't even say like his name in the movie. Yeah, it does, it, again, it, yeah, the the tagline on its own. If you weren't aware of the movie and you just walked up and told someone the tagline, you'd be like, "Okay, what does that mean? Who's he destroying?" Brian, what do you think? What, what would you What would you rate this movie? My review. I'm worried Chuck Norris is going to come in here and destroy me. So I enjoy this movie. I mean, I watched it a couple weeks ago. I posted it on our socials. It got a lot of love. That's kind of why I was like, well, we got to do this now. I mean, people seem to enjoy this movie. It's got a little maybe cult following. I personally, this isn't going to be a popular opinion, but I would watch this before I'd watch the original Halloween just because I, this is more fun. The, the original Halloween to me is boring. It's, I'm, I'm bored. I'm kind of in that camp too. I like Halloween 2 better, 
And this is like a perfect double feature with Halloween 2. And I give it seven Chuck Norris kicks to the face. And it's it's Easter weekend, and this show is full of blasphemy. And John Fires. Kirby has risen. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> the original Halloween was a little a little boring, but it it's kind of like it's, it's it needs to find its footing because a lot of the slasher movies that came later kind of based and fixed what Halloween maybe didn't do too well. Halloween was kind of it was treading in waters that hadn't really you know been touched yet. It's good for what it is, but definitely things have come better. And I'm and I follow the camp. I like Halloween too better than I like Halloween. Like there, and it is the perfect double feature really, with picking up like that. Oh, I love Halloween too. Yeah. All right. I, I was trying to mute you, but you kind of you, you you brought it back. You're okay. <laughs> I'm a I'm a Friday the kid. I grew up on Jason. I've seen Jason like five, six years old. So I always thought Jason was the cooler version of Michael Myers because he, he could accessorize better. Yeah. Oh, Jason. Jason's cool. Yeah. I always thought like, why is Jason like Jason's wearing a hockey mask? Like Michael Myers is just wearing somebody's face, and it's not really someone's face. Like Leatherface is wearing somebody's face, but it's somebody's face. Like Myers is just wearing someone's face. It's like he got lazy and went to the the dime store, and then if you, once you get up to like uh, Friday the Thirteenth Part six you know jason gets a utility belt now he's batman <laughs> so what's your favorite friday the 13th we're getting kind of off track here but now i want to know for me it's part six i'm a part five okay um i know like yeah like when you get like part three part part it would be part six and part three and then you know four or five but definitely part six i just like it being sleazy <laughs> <laughs> I, I love when we when we cover a movie and then these kind of conversations bloom from it because what it reminds me is is <clears throat> specifically right now Silent Rage deserves its place in the slasher world in the horror world because look at the conversation that's coming from talking about Silent Rage we're talking about Halloween we're talking about Friday the Thirteenth this is a movie that I think it would be it's probably too late to but it'd be fun to do a sequel to and I'd love to see like a comic mashup of like John Kirby versus Michael Myers versus Jason Voorhees or something. I think it, I think it'd be they great. definitely left it open for a sequel. I think it's like Norris North. I mean, whoever wrote it wrote it to where I mean at that point Chuck Norris was used. I think he was doing. I mean, there's four Mission Impossible or missing so or three Mission missing actions. It was the '80s sequels were really big, and I, I think it was just the critical reception of it was just kind of flat. Again, very very made made for TV at, at that time. I think Swamp Thing's rated PG, and you there's boots in Swamp Thing. So I mean, I think this movie would definitely fall into that PG rating. I mean, because at that point in 82, there was no PG-13. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what it's probably rated R, right? Uh, Silent Rage? Yeah, I believe it's rated R. It's less. I don't know. It doesn't seem like comparable to like today. It doesn't seem it's violent, but there's not a lot of like blood and gore. There's a little bit of nudity, but again, for the 80s, it's kind of tame. Yeah, I agree. I agree completely. And Jason, I'm going to actually going to going to kind of side with you here to a degree. And that is, um, I don't think this movie is better than Halloween, the original Halloween. I don't think they're comparable. This movie wouldn't exist without Halloween, but I don't think you can compare this movie to Halloween. I think you can compare it to Halloween 2, and even a little bit to Halloween 3. I think it, it lives more in that universe, in my opinion. But it, it, So if I had to rate this movie, I'm kind of right there with Brian. I don't want to rate it too high, but I've seen this movie a gajillion times and I'll love to watch it again. Five is average. I'm going to go with, uh, I'm going to beat Brian by one though. And I'm going to go eight. I'm going to go eight freeze dried poodles. I don't know if it was a poodle, but if you remember Flounder told the story to Chuck about, I didn't put this on my cop application, but I got the puppy dirty and I washed it and then I stuck it in the freezer and then I forgot about it. And he was, ah, <laughs> oh, that was a great little scene. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go eight. I'll go eight out of 10. Yeah, it has some slow moments, but everything was was cool and relatable and fun. And uh, yeah, I'd love to watch it again. So saving the best for last, Josh, what do you, what do you think about this film? I I liked it. I liked it's a good story. It's a departure from you know Chuck Norris just kicking people in the face or being like a Vietnam era style of movie or just like a plain old action movie. But I do find it maybe not like boring, but maybe tedious, maybe maybe slow. Like the suspense kind of like I understand like always building suspense, but it does it very boring. So like I'd, I'd probably rate it like five five bullets in the Kirby. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, that's the uh, the second bootleg toys. There's going to be. Five five bullet shells. I don't I don't know. I think we'll keep it at uh... that 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 serum is perfect though. Yeah, that is drives the movie. I mean, it's kind of maybe I'll do a hero in the tarot card, and if I do hero in the tarot, tarot, it'll be the Vaseline and the graphite shavings. <laughs> now I I was gonna watch it anyway, but now I have to. Let's hurry up and stop recording so I can go watch it right now. And that's free on Tubi. <laughs> we've uh we've interviewed Josh. We've covered a movie with Josh. Now I think it's time that we talk about what we're up to. Okay, Josh, we're going to have you go last. We're going to save the best for last. Jason, what do you or don't you have going on? Or have you already done? anything jason i feel like i should just record something and we'll just play it every time it's my turn to talk (laughs) Uh... this comes out april 30th and josh i'm always terrible at (laughs) knowing what i'm doing i'm very spur of the moment on everything i do i'm same thing yeah after this comes out i have nothing really going on i'm sure something will pop up but i should just pre-record this every time like yeah i don't know I got stuff. I don't have stuff. Who knows? I might I might be there. I won't be there. Jason, you were talking about so this comes out April 30th, which is, you know, the last day before May. You were talking about yourself and your wife Tanya coming up to Michigan sometime in May, right? Uh that's in June. Wait, I think. No, it is it is May. It is May. <laughs> <laughs> See, I I yeah, I don't know. Yep, and it's coming in May. Yeah, still don't really have much plans on that just a little road trip (laughs) and we're gonna go hit some sites we were actually talking about different like horror places to go just things we can see we're gonna probably head out to end up in like cleveland and i know like the christmas story house is there not horror related but just you know i'm gonna go to kokomo toys middle of may so they have a lot of cool toys and i'm excited to see what they have collectibles Thanks, Clint, for helping me out with this. <laughs> I'm like your travel agent. I want, you know, we're friends, so 5% will work. But Right now, I'm super excited for, you know, the next weekend already, but we've talked about that ad nauseum. Well, yeah, and this, this comes out after it, so. I know, yeah, so, yeah, we've talked about that plenty, but. Brian, what's going on with you? Comes out April 30th. That next Friday is Cinco de Mayo. I have from... Vinegar Syndrome, a box set of uh, Hispanic-based folk horror movies. I want to dive into that weekend. Um, That weekend is also um, the Spring Scenic Drive in this area. So a lot of antiques, a lot of vendors, usually more craft stuff, but I can almost always find some movies, you know, Blu-rays or DVDs that are horror-related. That's where I picked up. I have a King Caesar that's a Godzilla figure that I picked up for like five bucks one time from a vendor that's worth like 
30 or 40 bucks. So I was like, yeah, for five bucks, I'll buy it. Um, you can almost always find something like that on the scenic drive. Other than that, it'd be mowing season, you know, 10 feet deep in grass. What about you, Clint? Anything? That's better than 10 feet deep in snow any day. I got, I got a couple things going on. So the day after this episode comes out, my oldest daughter turns 16. I think we're going to have her driving test done the weekend before. And then, yeah, so the day after this comes out, she's going to be handed some keys and take off. That might be the scariest thing on this episode. For me, it is. It's, that's, you're lucky. My uh, my 18-year-old's out driving around with my wife right now. He does not want to get his driver's license at all. Really? He is adamantly against drive, driving his own car. Yeah, we, he has a Jeep that his grandfather gave him, does not want to drive it. Wants nothing to do with driving a vehicle. Some kids are like that. My, my former bonus daughter... Um, she just did. She went through driver's training, but she just didn't take to it. Just, it still scared her a little bit, and she just wasn't interested in it. It's crazy. Me, man, when we were kids. I don't know about you guys, but me, I was. Let's go. I'm out of here. See ya. 16th birthday. I was. I remember getting my. I remember getting my driver's license and taking the test. And I can remember basically failing the test. I I turned. They're like, make a left turn. I made a left turn into the left lane, and she's like, it's okay. Just back up. And I backed up into the left lane on the other street. She's like, all right. Well, I'm gonna pass you. Just drive with your parents before you go out on your own anymore. And I was up with myself that night. I'm like, you gave me a driver's license. I'm not <laughs> driving with anybody else anymore. What do you think was going to happen? Well, yeah, same thing. I remember being, that was my, that was my 16th birthday present was going to the DMV. This year, she's not getting a cake. She's not getting a party. She's not getting presents. She's just going to the DMV. She's getting a car. Uh, so the other thing I got going on is, um, it's right here in front of me. Saturday, May 6th, there is a halfway to Halloween event that I'll be vending at with inkmirrors.com at the Washtenaw County Fairgrounds. Uh, it's, uh, t- I think it's technically it's in Saline, Michigan. So uh, I was able to luck out and kind of sneak in. I vended there before, had a good time. And again, if you've heard the show before, earlier this year, I was going to book a gajillion shows. And then I thought I was going to have to scale back. And then I've kind of rebounded somewhere in the middle. Uh, because of that, I did not book halfway to Halloween off the bat. I have some friends who are vendors there who kept bugging the uh, bugging the the guy, the organizer, and uh, I think he was kind of like, "All right, I'm tired of hearing it." So yeah, ClintInkMirrors.com. I'll figure out a place to put you. So pretty much everything that's going on for me right now. Uh, but like I said, we saved the best for last. Josh, what the hell you got going on, man? Where are you going to be at? Where can people find you? All kinds of good stuff. You know, so I am moving the end of uh, the, the show that we're at next weekend. That's already happened. Um, uh, that's my last big show. Um, and then June 24th and 25th, I'll be in Livonia, Michigan at Astro 6.5, hanging out with, uh, hopefully, Jeff Anderson and Ryan O'Halloran again. To, to Jeff Anderson, I am the guy that printed dicks for a month. So. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you've seen the course card, right, with all the dicks. So I, so I made those for Astro and Astro 6. And I think we got through like halfway through Friday and I was under a pop-up at our booth. I saw Anderson kind of pop around the corner and he pulled one off the rack and he's like, you want this? And I totally fucked up because I should have looked at him and been like, this job would have been great if it's not for the fucking customers. But it was looking at Randall Graves and I'm like, well, shit, it's fucking Randall Graves. So I totally fucked that up. And he's like, can I buy this? And I'm like, no, but I'll just give you one. Um, I actually had him sign one and they brought one back to Will Halloran and we were talking and he's like, where'd you get the idea for this? I'm like, why 3D print a lot of stuff? He's like, you printed all these dicks? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, well, I'm going to open one of these up and make sure there's 37 dicks. You know, totally joking. I looked at him I'm like, dude, I've been printing dicks for a month. There's 37 dicks in there. And Anderson just started laughing. And he's like, I'm going to use that tomorrow in the panel. And, you know, there's fans here, but there's one guy out here who's been printing dicks for a month. Well, you know, with the bootleg toy stuff, you do some simple stuff, too. Like you did Chapstick for Jason Muse. And I think he loved that, didn't he? 
Yeah, he did. Um, so yeah, I didn't really sell any of those. I sold all the. I did oregano and I did chapstick because I know he's clean. And I didn't want to. I wanted to make him. A, I wanted to make him one that because I gave him one. I always give one to to, to the celebrity. I wanted to, one that he could put in his house and feel comfortable with, or you know, not remind him of bad things. But I didn't sell all the chapstick ones. I gave him the chapstick ones, but the oregano ones sold sold really well. Uh, yeah, but he he loved it. Um, yeah, the the clerks guys are real real receptive to it. I did I did the independent contractor return of, uh, return of the Jedi. Anderson, he loved that. He thought that was the best. <laughs> so they're a lot of fun. So you're going to be at Astro 6. You're going to be at the Horror House. You had talked about uh, being at Flashback and stuff later this year. And you, we, we talked about it earlier when we were interviewing you, but where can people go to follow you? Facebook, Instagram, stuff like that to see what, what you got coming up? Because you're constantly coming out with new stuff. Every, I try to put a card up every day. Um, so my Instagram and my Facebook are the same. It's bootleg as fuck. There's no you in fuck. So it's bootleg as fuck one word and then just drop the you in fuck. Only if you're by yourself. Yes. <laughs> All right. Um, so it's basically just Facebook and Instagram, right? Yep. And then if um, you know, if you want to talk about a card, send me a send me a private message. Well, you've made it to our YouTube channel. I did a YouTube video sharing my uh, greasy strangler toy. They thought that was uh, so. I went to Michael St. Michael's with that first, and I put it down in front of him. And Michael St. Michael's like <laughs> looked at me, he's like, "What the fuck is this?" And I'm like, "Well, I'm like." I'm like, I, lo- I watched the movie and I'm like, I understand your, you know, your whole aspect of watching the movie is to try to make people feel uncomfortable. So I tried to put something together that makes you feel uncomfortable. And he looked at it and he's looked at me. He's like, I'm going to be honest with you. I feel really fucking uncomfortable right now. He's like, what is this? I'm like, it's a disco ball and a condom full of grease. He's like, this is fucking awesome. So we signed it for me and he's like, I love this. And he took a picture with the whole, like doing the strangling thing. And then I went over to Sky Oblar, is it? Oblar? Sky looked at it. Sky's like, Jesus Christ. He's like, don't show this to my St. Michael's. And I'm like, well, he signed it already. He's like, Jesus. He's like, great. I'm gonna. He's like, the next movie we're gonna be dealing with disco balls and condoms full of grease now. Huh? And like, probably. I hope so. You inspired the film. Oh, I hope so. I, didn't, I know. I, I know. I got a reaction out of them, which was perfect because they got a reaction out of me watching that fucking movie. <laughs> Josh from Bootleg as Fuck Toys. We want to thank you for being on the show. We love talking to you. Thank you guys for having me. We love letting our audience know a little bit more about you. Um, and we look forward to seeing you down the road. Everybody, again, you can find him on Facebook, on Instagram, bootleg as fuck toys with no you and, um, no you and fuck. And, um, no wait, you and fuck. That should be my, that should be my new slogan. I'll put that on my business card. There's no you and fuck. And, um, after he gets moved and settled, you're going to see him at conventions all across the country. All over the Midwest. Yeah. Josh is a rambling, traveling man. So I'm oh, sorry. What's funny is. Um, I suffer from road hypnosis. I found this out when I was a truck driver. Um, when I was a baby, I had like colic really bad. So my parents' solution to that was to drive me around in a car until I fell asleep. So I found that out driving an 80,000 pound truck that if I drive too long, I tend to just kind of drift off. So I make my wife drive all the conventions. I just fall asleep. It's kind of nice. I'll just, we'll be in Wisconsin and she'll be driving for five minutes and I'll fall asleep and I'll wake up and we'll be in Michigan. It's awesome. You're going to have to teach me that trick. I always have to drive everywhere. I was coming back from Creature Feature Weekend in Pennsylvania, and I started to not feel well over the weekend. And so I was about halfway home through the mountains in the dark, and I started to feel feverish. I'm like, oh, man, this, I felt terrible. But still eight hours from home, he's got to keep going. And I, I'd die. I'd fall asleep. It's, it's really bad. I make I make light of it. I stopped at this choke and puke to get some food to take some Motrin. and it's filled full of bikers, and I got my ass kicked. Did you at least get to see some titties? That was, well, that's what started the fight. That was a sick oh. <laughs> Hey, Brian, take us home, buddy. So now that we've rated our movie, talk to our amazing guest. Don't forget to check out the I Like It Spooky Horror podcast on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. Take care. Bye-bye. You're muted, Jason.
Is He's it? like, whatever, I don't care. <laughs> I was just saying bye. So bye. Yeah. <laughs> you are being the 37th dick. <laughs> Hey, what's wrong with you, man? Show some fucking respect for the dead, will ya?